But I want to tell you one thing, gentlemen. One thing. My last night tonight. What are you going to do? I'll extend my yeah. hand here. Hogan, you're not going to like what's going to happen to you here, pal. Oh, no. Uh -oh. He's got him around the neck. We know what that means. Squeeze. Jump Squeeze. out of that choke slam. Drop out of it. Hold. Oh. Right on his spine. I don't think I'll see me. Behind you. That's what I was just fixing to say. Behind you. Giant. Oh, yeah. This one is Hulk Hogan. He's going to try and cripple the man. And it stayed on. Look at this. Here we go. Oh. Never, ever in our years in WCW has anybody out of the figure floor. We got a new champion. There's a new champion. Have a nice lunch, Oh, oh by the way, April Fool's. Oh. <laughs> oh. Jeez, a man, we'll see you here in two weeks. WCW Nitro on TNT. Hogan, booty man, the booty babe. Hey. That wasn't that funny, Ethan. That that wasn't everybody. That funny. Everybody in the whole country. We'll see you in two weeks. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, 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 nah. Hell, make it sound like heaven. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Come on, everybody, let's have some fun. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to April of 1996 with Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 is your WWF show looking at In Your House 7. Volume 3 is all your ECW action. I'll be joined here in Volume 2 looking at WCW by Chris White. Chris, good evening. Good evening, Bob. Uh, Chris, kick us off with the news. The Giant is the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, having pinned Ric Flair in the main event of the April 29th Nitro that was taped the week prior. The switch marks the Giant's second title reign and the sixth change in seven months since he won the title off, off of Hulk Hogan last October. Despite reports that even stuff taped for TV turning Giant babyface, those plans have been shelved. Speaking of Hogan, his future seems a little unclear as he will seemingly be taking time off in, until August. Original plans call for Hogan to do a stretcher job on the April 15th Nitro after being laid out by the Giant, but, as you probably know by now, things didn't go as originally planned. Instead, having made the decision on a whim seemingly quite late on, Hogan no-sold the attack of the Giant and the team of Taskmaster and Arn Anderson. It said that plans for Hogan call for him to work opposite either Kevin Nash or Scott Hall before leading into a programme with the Giant. He's also slated to face Randy Savage at Halloween Havoc. We'll have more info on all of this towards the back end of the show. Brian Pillman was involved in a serious car accident on the 19th of April, having rolled his car and subsequently been ejected from it. While it said his most significant injury will end up being his ankle, which was crushed, medics who found him did think he had lost so much blood that he may not make it. He has since had surgery to repair a broken nose and a fractured cheekbone, including having four steel plates putting his face. 
Police told Pillman that had he been wearing his seatbelt, he may well have ended up being crushed inside the car. We will have a full report on this later, but it's said that injury shouldn't be serious enough to threaten his wrestling career. Eric Bischoff did some interviews this month, throwing some doubt over WCW's reported signings. On signing Razor Ramon and Diesel, Bischoff said, I'm not sure they are going to WCW. It's more than up in the air. Bischoff also said that Vince McMahon is trying to create this alternative reality where Ted Turner uses billions of dollars to beat up poor little McMahon. He said, quote, I don't think Vince McMahon's name flashes through Ted Turner's mind more than once or twice a year. On allegedly trying to sign the 123 kid, Bischoff said, Someone told me the other day that I'd offered him half a million dollars. I'd never even offered him a beer. In other news, there are talk of Ted DiBiase coming to WCW once his WWF contract expires. They apparently want to call him Zillionaire Ted. There are talks of Nitro going to two hours every Monday night with the idea that a longer show equals higher payments from TNT. And finally, despite all of his misgivings on commentary... Eric Bischoff did wish Brian Pillman the best live on Nitro following the news of his accident. And for the ratings for this month. On April the 1st, the night after WrestleMania, Raw drew a 2.9 against Nitro's 2.8. On April the 8th, with no Nitro airing, Raw drew a massive 4.7 rating, including the return of the Ultimate Warrior. That beats Raw High's rating by a 0.8. On April the 15th, Raw drew a 3.1 to Nitro's 2.8. April the 22nd, Raw drew a 3.3 to Nitro's 2.2. Nitro is still doing some strong replay numbers, mind. And April the 29th, which we'll be reviewing, we don't have the numbers for yet. We'll report them next month. Also on the uh, ratings front, as of April the 29th and going into May, I don't know when it finishes, uh, Nitro is being moved forward an hour to accommodate uh, NBA. Uh, so next month we will have ratings, but they won't exactly be head to head anyway interesting show this month there is no pay-per-view um so whereas we we, you know maybe last year we would have just strapped this on to the end of another show i'm kind of married to the three volumes a month um format now so we decided we're going to take a closer look at nitro um so basically, in the first couple of weeks, or first two or three weeks of this month, uh, Chris is on the first show that you're about to hear, uh, then Wayne joins me for the second one, then we're going to go back a week and review last week's show, and then we'll come back into normal time to review uh, this one that's just happened on the 29th. Um, so yeah, the other side of this uh, this scratch noise, we will start reviewing the shows. <laughs> And it is April the 1st, 1996. We're here to review the first Nitro of the month. Chris, kick us off with the results. Uh, the opening match saw Sting and the Giant ending uh, via countout after Lex Luger ran in. Uh, in the second match, we had the Road Warriors, the Steiner Brothers and the Nasty Boys in a triangle tag team match uh, with the Steiner Brothers picking up the win. We had Hulk Hogan and the Booty Man taking on Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan picking up the victory. And in the main event, we had world champion Ric Flair defending his title against Lex Luger, where he picked up the victory to retain his title. Um, Chris, uh, what did you think of this show? Going up against the uh, first Nitro, the uh, first Raw, sorry, the night after WrestleMania, what did you think? Um, I mean, it wasn't a terrible show, but considering... That it was after it was the night after WrestleMania. I thought having four matches that ended in four cheap, dodgy finishes, and that was the whole show. 
if I mean if you're, if I had tuned in to Nitro, I would have turned off halfway through, knowing that the post WrestleMania Raw was on, and there was probably going to be a few big angles on that, and knowing what had happened with Shawn Michaels and things like that, and he was going to be on Raw. There wasn't anything to keep me watching the show when you consider some of the cheap finishes we got for to all of the matches on it. How did it compare to Raw? Generally, I enjoyed Raw more, but I think that's partly to do with just because of the fresh talent that was on Raw. The debut of Mankind was obviously like a big deal, and having seen a bit of ECW and listened to a lot of you guys reviewing ECW monthly, it was exciting to see uh, that character debut and to see what direction they're going to take him in. So as a purely sort of, as a fan... To see that, whether it was well executed or not, is a whole other topic. But it's something I'm more interested in seeing than Hulk Hogan and the Booty Man taking on the Taskmaster and Arn Anderson. So it, it, generally, I preferred Raw. Um, and even if some of the, like Raw had its negatives as well, like I don't think Shawn Michaels was used particularly well. I don't think that was the strongest promo in the middle of the show. But it was. I would have tuned in to see that over what was on Nitro on this particular evening. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, you know, for for once, and this is probably a rare time where Raw probably has a bit more going for it in this particular week in the sense that we are, I think, six weeks away from the next WCW pay-per-view. Part of the reason we're reviewing Nitro in so much detail this month there's no show. Um, and so, but they've got big matches, but it's not really going anywhere and like you know raw and you know we're we're not gonna do this with every show of the month i think it was just more pertinent because you know nitro was such a what well, i think one of the noteworthy things about this nitro show you look at the card this is a stacked deck this could within reason be like the final four matches on any wcw pay-per-view um sting and the giant we got luger and flair we've got hogan in a in a tag match admittedly and then we've got three of their biggest taxis this yeah there was nobody really missing from this nitro show but i agree in the sense that i just had the feeling that raw they had a lot more to do whereas with nitro it was more we got to fill a week of tv we're going up against the strong shows so we have to throw a lot out there um that being said i mean you are completely right about the finishes, and we'll come to each one as, as we cover each match. If you're watching Nitro at this point, there's only so much you can criticise the finishes, because if it bothers you that much, you probably ain't watching the show. You know, I can't remember the last Nitro that ended, Nitro main event that ended in a clean finish. It just is what it is. It did get a bit beyond parody, though, with that, with that second tag match. But anyway... We start off the show with Sting and the Giant in the ring. Chris, no introduction, no video package, no Nitro with the the fireworks and stuff. If you tune into Nitro thinking, let's see what they've got for, you know, 60, 90 seconds while Raw goes through its preamble, I would say the show going in with a cold open and seeing Sting and Giant in the ring would be a reason to stick around. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely more effective if you, as you say, you've got that viewer who's going to be channel hopping between the two shows and you've got a video package to open Raw, but uh, on Nitro, you've got two huge single stars, really, or they're at least attempted, well, definitely in Sting and uh, obviously they're trying to go places with the Giant. So to see them two in the ring about to go at it, you're not changing over to Raw at that point, you're sticking around. So it was definitely a really clever way to open the show. It was just a bit weird, the lack of context and how it was all revisited after the match was 
slightly strange. Yeah, I wonder if a lot of people tuned out after the segment finished, but I imagine of the people that tuned in, there was really no reason to turn over. Uh, Sting spits in the face of the giant and then starts unloading on him, chopping him down to size. We've got a ref and Jimmy Hart ringside, so I guess we've got a match, and we open with Sting versus the giant with Jimmy Hart. Sting goes for running close, running crossbody, but giant just blocks him and dumps him on the outside. Giant goes for a choke slam on the apron. Sting goes up with him, but just kicks him to the outside. When Giant gets his senses back. Lex Luger's appeared in the ring, and Giant ends up getting counted out, I think. Uh, Giant walks to the back and says, Sting is only alive because Lex was there. And yeah, Chris, I guess this is the negative. You kind of watch the match, and it, it, it fizzles into nothing. Um... I still didn't mind this opening segment, though. I, I don't know that you want a giant match that's going too long because one of them is going to have to do a lot of selling and one of them is going to have to be on the offense. I don't think Giants particularly brilliant in either spot. Um, but I, I like what they're doing enough with Luger where I give this segment a pass. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think my enjoyment of it might have been enhanced had I watched a few Nitros in the build-up to it because I know from listening to this show like I, have, I haven't watched WCW in a while I don't think I've done it for a number of months but it's the way Luger seems to be flipping between sort of is he Sting's friend is he not and that ongoing process and between the heel face dynamic of all of it and whatnot. Um, to, I, I just didn't really get where this was going I had no idea like what was going on between Sting and the Giant and then when Luger ran in I didn't know what his allegiance was really it, it lacked a bit of context for me and that wasn't really brought across by any of the commentators so if you are someone who was tuning into Nitro for the first time or you're just like a very very casual viewer I think you would have been a bit confused I don't think they explained what was going on too well yeah, well, I mean, in part, they're going to explain in a minute a little bit of it, but in part, like, I haven't really got my head around this, but essentially they were going to turn giant babyface. That was the whole plan. That was the plan I was of a couple of months ago when they had the whole thing with uh, Ed Leslie turning face and becoming the booty mounds because Hogan wanted to hang around with him. The same was true with the giant, and then for some reason that I haven't quite got my head around yet, um, they decided not to do that with the giant. So despite filming stuff for Saturday night where he was babyface, uh, they now want him as a heel again. Uh, so... I'll, I'll, I'll follow on and I'll fill it in. Uh, we then get the opening credits. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. We find out that it was meant to be Sting and the Giant versus Harlem Heat in the opener, i.e. Sting and a face giant. Uh, but Jimmy Hart charged out and gave the Heat a brown envelope, and that was enough to pay them off and not have the match. And as I put in my notes, it seemed like all of this would attempt to turn the Giant heel again after aborting his babyface turn. I will hopefully have an answer for that when we record the review of the show in a couple of weeks' time that you're going to hear in about 15 minutes. Anyway. We move on. It's the triangle tag team match. The Steiner brothers, Frick and Scott versus the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk versus the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags. Bischoff said the public enemy were meant to be in the match, but he's not sure what happened. This is your usual triangle rules, uh, triangle match rules in WCW. Um, the out- announcers don't really have a clue what the rules are, so there we go. Uh, Rick and Nobbs start us out. Rick hits a nice power slam. After a slam from Scott, he and Hawk hit a double clothesline and both go down. Hawk hits a nice sit-out next breaker as is usual with my review of triangle tag team matches in wcw this will all sound a bit disjointed that's because so many things happen uh the nasties unload on scott there's a lot of blind tags in this match the action spills to the outside with all six men brawling which whips up the crowd back in the ring knob suplexes scott for a pin attempt but both rick and hawk come to break it up 
Sags drills Hawk into the guardrail, but Animal turns it into a handicap situation and drop kicks Sags. Nobbs hits Hawk with a big boot and a splash. He then hits a body slam on Scott. Climbs to the second rope. Scott follows him up, and as do both Bro Warriors, who dump the pair to the outside. We see Rocco Rock come from the crowd, well with Brian Nobbs. They lay out Brian Nobbs and dunk him in the ring, and he gets pinned. We see the video replay, and it turns out it's not Nobbs. What actually happened was, Grunge came out with uh, Flyboy... Uh, sorry, uh, Rocco Rock came out with Johnny Grunge, who was dressed in Brian Nobbs gear. They laid out Brian Nobbs, rolled Johnny Grunge into the ring, who looked like Nobbs. Scott lies on top of uh, Grunge and pins him, uh, and then Johnny Grunge makes a beeline for the exit. Um, Chris, we did a whole thing last month on, on, on the WCW show about screwy finishes and tag teams and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will give them this. I thought this was really good. I completely agree. I was just about to say, I was negative sort of talking about the show as, in general, about some of the cheaper finishes, but this was original, this was creative, and this was... All, all things considered, this was fun, and that's what you want when you're watching a show like this. I, I, I honestly enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, yeah, like, I enjoyed the finish more than I enjoyed the match. I was going to say, what do you think of the match? The match in itself, I thought, probably the loudest the crowd were, the whole of Nitro, were when all six men were brawling, they brawled to the outside up against the guardrail. The crowd went crazy for that, and this match kind of, it didn't really have a flow to it. They sort of, they had short, short sort of chaotic brawls with all six men on the outside really briefly, but then they transitioned pretty swiftly back into like a regular tag team match and it just sort of felt a bit sort of rotational. There wasn't really a flow to it. It just felt like they couldn't make up with, uh, couldn't decide whether this was going to be a brawl or whether this going to be sort of quick short tags, get you moving, tag back out, quick short tag and it just felt, as you said, disjointed, and I, I couldn't really get into the match. I didn't, I don't know what the match wanted to be, and I didn't really know how to take it. But the finish itself was definitely the highlight. Yeah, I mean, we've had these triangle tag matches before. I think the one, the, the bash at the beach last year is the one I remember called on that show. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's it's very difficult to tell a coherent story when you've got so much going on and you've got so much to follow. Um, you know, there's always someone to break up the pin, and you know, it's it, it's a match. There's nothing on it. There's no real drama. I mean, you're 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 going on this match on the basis that you've got three teams that are very over, and I think they all are to one degree or another. Um, but yeah, and, and as usual, we're waiting for the screw finish. But I'll give them all the credit in the world. I thought it was really good because like, I, I don't think it was possible to work out going on live. Like so, sometimes WCW will go with a wacky finish that's really well signposted. It wasn't shot in a way that tried to hide it, but they shot it in a way that just looked like what happened happened. They shot in a way that looked like Brian Nobbs got attacked, got rolled in the ring and got pinned. And that, and that's 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 how you do a finish like this. If you're going to do a creative finish, do something that people go, what happened there? And then you reveal the ruse afterwards. I'm kind of looking forward to the, the flip side in a couple of weeks' time where we'll get, presumably, we'll get Brian Nobbs dressed as Johnny Grunge in a similar situation. I'm kind of looking forward to that. But yeah, I the match was okay. It, I think if the teams were less over, this would have been a real drag. This was quite a long match. Um, but there's enough star power in this match to keep you interested. All six guys work a really physical style, and the good thing is is that nobody's in the ring long enough to have to do any selling, so the match doesn't kind of plateau. Um, 
probably the highlight of the show, I would say. Uh, we move on to Arn Anderson and the Taskmaster with Woman and Miss Elizabeth versus the Booty Man and Hulk Hogan with the Booty Babe. Bobby Heenan then randomly and solemnly says that tonight will be his last night on Nitro. He's retiring. Arn Anderson and the Booty Man start at it. Hogan gets a shot in as the illegal man. They're saying that Booty Man went into the Dungeon of Doom as a double agent. Uh, suppose that makes sense. Uh, the faces hit a double team big boot on Arn and the Taskmaster gets in the ring. Hogan is handling both Sullivan and Taskmaster no problem, but then the heels take control. Woman digs her fingernails into the booty man's eyes. Arn catapult lifts booty man's neck into the bottom rope. Hogan gets the quietest hot tag in history, throwing Taskmaster into Arn Anderson. Hits two of the softest big boots you'll ever see. Woman then gives Taskmaster her shoe. Booty Babe gives Booty Man another shoe, who gives it to Hogan. Hogan wins the Battle of the Heels, in more ways than one, and picks up the pin. Booty Babe gives Booty Man a big kiss after the match. Hogan's Hogan's overreaction to all this was priceless. Um... Chris, when when WWF are ragging on you for using high-heeled shoes in match finishes as they were on the Geriatric Control Center last month on Raw, probably a good time to go, you know what, let's find a different finish. And they just went all in. I mean, the, I, I just didn't enjoy this in any way. I didn't enjoy the match. I didn't enjoy the finish. I didn't enjoy the in-ring work. I didn't enjoy the promo afterwards. I... I really would struggle to find positives about this match, even sort of from a logical sense. I mean, I've heard this complaint a number of times, but Hogan just wrestles like a heel, like, and he either gets silence or mild booze, and it's like, it's just so stale, like. That hot tag, man, I mean, that hot tag, they, they tagged and there was nothing. They, they just, I don't know how, well, I mean, I couldn't care any less watching it, and the, no one in the arena could could have possibly cared any less. There was just silence. It was just this died a death, and the finish doesn't help. And they need to do something because clearly this isn't working. No, um, <laughs> I mean. I don't know whether Hogan's just phoning it in. I don't know whether it's just random tag matches. I don't know whether it's just he's teamed with the booty man. We'll listen to that promo in a sec. Um, he's been feuding with Arnton and the Taskmaster with what feels like forever. Um, Taskmaster certainly so. Um, and yeah, like the match just wasn't very good. I kind of feel sorry for Arn Anderson that he's trying to, you know, he's having to sell these unbelievably soft big boots. I know Hogan never traditionally laid it in. The whole idea was he meant to run at, your, run at his foot. Um, but it works better when someone's really firing off the ropes, when, like, Taskmaster just does a, a very lackadaisical kind of, you know, bounce off the far ropes and then just slowly runs into Hogan's raised boot. It don't look very good. But, yeah, and that's the, that's the biggest thing. It doesn't really matter what I say. It matters what the crowd are doing. And the crowd are just not reacting to Hogan. Um... It's bad. I mean, they're paying him a lot of money, and at the moment, they're getting little to no return for that investment. So, I don't know where you go from here, but probably not down this path. Well, you're asking for a, a big, tall order there, Eric Bischoff. I've got to say, Hulk Hogan, Booty Man, Kimberly, the Booty Babe, what a shoe tonight here on WCW Monday Nitro Hulk. Well, you know something, brother? You might as well say it was a shoe in, man. Thank God for the Booty Bay, brother. She's on top of her game at all times, if you know what I mean. 
as Kevin Sullivan, as Arn Anderson dropped to their knees. They said, please, Mr. Booty, don't beat us up. Please, Mr. Hogus, give us a break. We had them right where we wanted them, brother. But by hook or by crook, every time we come out here, those guys seem to get the last lap, brother. All right. You know something? I'm tired of this. What's been going on there? And you're right. They're always getting the last laugh in on us. They're always getting the last word. But I got something I've had on the back burner. And it's going to turn the tables. It's going to give us a little satisfaction. If you know what I mean, brother. You just got to be my partner on next Monday Nitro. Trust me, man. Just just be my partner. Hold on a second, brother. You know, I've been a strap matches, world title matches, steel cage matches, doomsday matches, and you're telling me that you've got something up your sleeve that will let us get the last laugh, brother. That's exactly right, brother. You just got to trust me. I can't give it away out here right now. That'd be too easy. But what, you what, what, trust me. Wait a minute, booty man. What in the world are you talking about? What kind of a man? I can't tell you right now, but I ain't going to show our down card yet. But it's going to put our put the shoe on the other foot. It's going to finally give us the upper hand and give us a little satisfaction. Well, you know something, brother? If you're telling me that you're going to figure something out where we can, let's say, kick their booty, brother, and you, me, and the booty babe Kimberly get the last laugh, we're throwing it out right now because as they were taking your brains in, not only was Double A laughing, not only was the Taskmaster laughing, but the girls, brother, woman, and Liz was laughing too, brother. So you guys, if you want to get the last laugh, if you think you can, come on down because the booty man's got the plan. What's it all about? We'll kick their cans. I don't know if that's an April Fool's deal we'll or on next Monday, me. Well, it'll have to be a week from Monday. Eric Bischoff, let's get back to you. We get a post-match beatdown of the faces, but we're on the replay, so we don't see any of it. Hogan, in a post-match interview, says Booty Babe is on top of her game, if you know what he means. Booty Man, who's been a babyface for all of about five weeks, says he's already tired of all of this. Booty Man says he's got a plan, but he can't give it away. He's got a stipulation for the next Nitro. Hogan says, we'll see, we'll get them next Monday, and Oakland quickly corrects him, as there's no Nitro next week. Uh, Chris, you mentioned it, but yeah, this promo, I don't know. Ed Leslie's just awful. We said it before. We said it last month. Um, and yeah, it's like, what, we're going to see this match again next week? I mean, I don't, I don't know what, you know, in two weeks' time, I don't know what his plan is, but I, it's more that I don't care. It's, I didn't care about it this week, and in two weeks' time, I'm not going to care about it any any more than I already do. It's, it, there's nothing about this promo that sells me on having to see these four guys in a tag match in the middle of Nitro again. There's no angle or stipulation that could possibly increase my interest at this stage. Uh, I, I, I just, it wasn't, and it's the crowd reaction as well. It's almost comical. It's just like people sitting in their hands in silence and then occasionally booing once Hogan's finished speaking. And it's almost like, they don't care enough to, like, passionately boo the guy. They're just disinterested. Like, was, it, was it better when he was getting properly booed? Like, the bit where, you know, a bit kind of October, November, where he was in the whole dark side thing, and, like, he was facing Sting on Nitro, and they were, like, booing him out of the place. I think that's better than this. I, I definitely think it's, a, like, so much better. Like, at least it's like, react uh, causing a, a reaction from the crowd and getting some emotion. I, I'd prefer... 
a negative reaction to just sort of complete disinterest. Uh, it's, I think it's hard to turn disinterest around, whereas hate, like you can always play hate and like genuine anger, you can always play off. But when no, when people stop caring, I think you're in real trouble. I mean, if if Hogan's contract's up at the end of the year, he might need a bit more leverage than this. But we'll see. Uh, we move on to the main event. It's Lex Luger versus Ric Flair with Woman and Miss Elizabeth for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Heena mentions the history of these two. Luger starts off with a pair of shoulder tackles. Flair gets sent to the outside and bides some time to recover. Luger hits a press slam. He charges into the corner, but Flair gets a forearm up and then starts posing. Luger gets back up and sends Flair over the top. Flair then escapes up the R-way after losing his temper. Back in the ring, Luger runs over Flair with a series of rights and kicks. Luger chases Woman and Miss Elizabeth up the R-way, but Flair catches him with a knee when he comes back in the ring, and Luger crashes into the guardrail. Flair locks in the figure four. There's almost a pin before Luger fights out and flips the hold over. Luger goes for a sunset flip pin. Flair grabs onto the top rope from stopping himself going down. The ref does a jump kick to release Flair's grip, and Flair almost loses the match. We get a backslide pin for a near fall by Luger. Both men end up on the second rope and Luger hits the superplex. Miss Elizabeth gets on the apron to distract the ref. Woman grabs a cup of coffee as Luger picks up Flair in the torture rack. Roman throws the hot coffee in Luger's face. He goes down and Flair uses the ropes for leverage and picks up the win. Sting comes out afterwards quickly to run off Flair. Chris? Um, By no means a bad match, but a very by-the-numbers match. It's sort of a classic face-versus-heel match, really. Classic Flair... And in some ways, classic Luger, just all power moves, all posing. Flair got all these standard spots in. It's a perfectly fine TV main event, um, but it wasn't enough. Not, the show, not that the show necessarily needed saving. It hadn't been a bad show, but it wasn't enough to turn an average show into a good one. Um, it was it was fine, but no better. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, we talk about Hogan's lack of reaction. The crowd went to this match enough. Um, so it's not like Hogan couldn't, couldn't necessarily, you know, plead the fifth and just say, you know, it was a quiet crowd. Um, they were into this. I quite enjoyed this. Like it's, you know, having sat through 18 months of Lex Luger, 1994, first half 95, like slowly becoming less and less motivated. Um, or sorry, more and more demotivated, I suppose. Um, to see him here in front of a passionate crowd, with a character, I, I don't want to call it complex because I don't think it, it's that detailed. But watching Luger here, like this is really good, and and I thought this match was fine, as you say. I think you know, fine for a TV main event. It is a bit paint by the numbers. It is a bit classic Flair. There was enough, you know, shenanigans going on on the outside. Luger was doing his stuff. Flair was getting his stuff in. But as a TV main event, I, I thought it was I mean, fine. Anyway, chaos from the get go. And the booty's going to come up with some kind of a new match. What is tell- that about? I don't know. But I want to tell you one thing, gentlemen. One thing. My last night. Tonight. What are you going to do? I'll extend my yeah. hand here. Have a nice oh, lunch, Oh, buddy. by the way, April Fool's. Ah. <laughs> oh. Jesus, man, we'll see you here in two weeks. WCW Nitro on TNT. We cut to the announcer's Hogan, desk. Heenan says it's his man. last night. He, he shakes Bischoff's hand. He shakes Steve McMichael's hand. And he signs off. Before, of course, he revealed the whole thing was a ruse. April Fools. Heenan is deliriously happy with that one. Um, 
Chris is a good argument. This is the moment of the night. Um, yeah, but I, I thought the best part was that Heenan goes to shake McMichael's hand and McMichael goes, you know what? We, we've had our disagreements, but all right, all respect to you, Bobby. You know, good luck with it. Heenan reveals the ruse and Heenan sells it like it's the greatest joke on the planet. I thought it was great. Yeah, it was, it was really, really well executed and Bischoff just tries to wrap up and move on and Hayden just keeps on laughing and keeps on laughing and, and you can tell it's grating and annoying and it's just classic Bobby Heenan, just perfect execution of, uh, and, uh, it really got the most out of this gag that you could possibly could have done. Um, they did. Yeah, apparently, so, so it was said, it was based on, uh, rumours, reports that Heenan might be going back to the WWF. I think that was the whole gag. Was that they just thought, you know, it's April first, we'll run an April Fool's gag. I don't know. It's it, it's a bog standard gag, but in the hands of Bobby Heenan, it becomes something a bit funnier. Um, Heenan's really good, um, and that ends the show. <laughs> And as there is no Nitro on April the 8th, we move on to April the 15th. I'm being joined by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good evening. Hi, Bob. Uh, Wayne, kick us off with the results of this show. No problem. Hulk Hogan defeated Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan in a two-on-one handicap match. The Nasty Boys defeated the Public Enemy in a Falls Count Anywhere Street tag team match. Randy Savage defeated Earl Robert Eaton. And Lex Luger and Sting defeated Ric Flair and Giant by disqualification for the WCW World Tag Team titles. Wayne, what do you think of this Nitro? I thought it was fun. Um, there was there was a lot happening. Um, it wasn't slow. I mean, obviously we've we've spoke about Nitros in the past being fast paced and uh, a million miles an hour, and I think this is uh, an, another show that has, uh, um, has has been the same as one of the many's in the past. Yeah, um, you know, a, a tight 50-minute program. Uh, I've got enough problems with the opening segment. We'll come to that in a minute. There's a really, really nice brawl in the middle, squash match with Savage, and then a main event, which is your typical WCW main event, except probably with a bit more heat than usual. Uh, the standard litany of WCW finishes, which we'll come to. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say an above-average episode of Nitro for, for this kind of run so far that they... I think now, and we saw it and we discussed it earlier on the uh, on the April 1st show that we taped a couple of weeks ago, um, in terms of this this show and this other show that we just did, there's a lot more star power. Um, and I think they're very keen on trying to stack the deck while Raw is coming off these shows. Raw did a 4.7 rating last week against, well, up, not up against Nitro because it wasn't on. Um, and coming off WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels' coronation, I think they're trying to stack the deck um, as best they can. Anyway, we'll, we'll see how well they did in a minute. Uh, Hulk Hogan opens up Nitro, but he gets ambushed by Arn Anson and the Taskmaster in a handicap match. If you're wondering what happened to the booty man, he got hurt two weeks ago on Saturday night. Hogan agrees to take the fight anyway, and particularly takes little time in gaining the ascendancy in the match. So our opening match of the evening, it's Hulk Hogan versus the Taskmaster and Arlinson with Jimmy Hart in a handicap match. They're saying if Hogan wins, he gets five minutes with Hart. And if the heels win, they get five minutes with the booty babe. That seems fair. Uh, Hulk Hogan rakes Taskmaster by the eye. Taskmaster goes down from a flailing Hogan arm. Hogan hits quite possibly the loosest big boot I've ever seen on Anderson before hitting both men with a chair. Hart starts attacking Hogan as well. 
Anderson goes to give Hogan a pile driver, instructs Taskmaster to go up top for a double team move. Hogan flips it over and does a catapult, sending Arn flying into Taskmaster, which probably received a much smaller pop than they were hoping for. And Hogan drops the leg and wins the match. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of this? Well, it was just typical, wasn't it? It was just the Hogan show. It's let's make Hogan look special. Let's do everything we can to to make him look as strong as possible. And um, you know, there was there was no other um, way that this was um, no other outcome of this. I mean, we saw Hogan, um, who was originally meant to be going against four members of the the Dungeon of Doom in the uh, in the main event of, of Uncensored, and, and obviously that got changed last minute. But you know, if he's going to be going against four men there, and and you know against two men here then you know I couldn't see any other uh, way that this match was was going to finish um but um you know the, the the one thing I would say about it is you know you know Dell mentioned last month when speaking about um Hunter Hearst Helms pedigree you know they've done all this uh, effort of putting certain moves over and you know we <laughs> the chalk slam that the giant does on on Hogan and then Hogan to just flip straight back up I mean uh, but wait, you're, you're, you're blowing my spot here Wayne we're about, oh, to, come, sorry. We're about to come to that but we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll carry I mean the, the the whole thing with the I mean the, the stipulation why like I mean it, yeah we'll come to the bit in a minute but it's, the, as I understood it and this is basically picking on what the announcers are saying it was Hogan wins the match, he gets five minutes with Jimmy Hart, which seems excessive. Jimmy Hart is about 54 years old, that seems a lot, but kind of fair enough. But if the heels win, they get the boot. What's the booty babe done? I, like, yeah. And like, like I, I know Hogan's the face, I know they're the heels, but nobody wants to see that. You know what I mean? Um, and it kind of, it makes Hogan look a bit stupid for accepting the match. It kind of makes, you know, where's booty man? We don't know. Um, and all this other stuff. All very weird. It gets a bit weirder as, as Wayne tees. Hogan goes after Miss Elizabeth and woman and basically kind of directs them towards the ring. Woman starts using Elizabeth as a human shield. Hogan grabs hold of them both, kills some time and then turns his attention to Jimmy Hart. Hogan rips Hart's shirt. Heenan says, it's uncensored, which is a nice story about the last year. Hogan hits a far better big boot than he did um, during the match on Hart and Hart goes down selling it better than probably Arnson did. Out comes the giant who chokeslams Hogan. Hogan jumps straight back up, rakes the eyes and hits a body slam. Oakland comes up from behind, tacks Hogan on the shoulder. Hogan picks up Oakland and nearly body slams him for realising who it is. Heenan says he had a great opportunity to throw him off a balcony. Wayne, explain this. <laughs> yeah, um, first things first, the, the powder that was thrown, that was just like, it was... It's not as if it even happened. Uh, Organ just no selling it as uh, as per usual. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you know, it was a little fun interaction that he had with um, with with Jimmy Hart. And uh, you know, did he really get his comeuppance? Probably not. Will we get to see it some down sometime down the line? Maybe. But uh, obviously, when the giant come in and you know thought right, okay, well maybe Hogan is gonna gonna get a bit of a beat down. But uh, it was just shades of um, the interaction that Hogan had with with Vader all the way back in. Uh, I think it was roughly around about just over a year ago now when, you know, choke slam, um, or obviously it was, it was a different move with Vader, but Hogan just popping straight back up and 
and no selling it. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, I think there's times I've, I've got to change with, with certain things like that. Um, but, you know, that's, that's Hogan for you, really. Yeah, you're referring to the time, I think it was at the Clash of the Champions in January 95, where Vader powerbombs Hogan, uh, turns to the crowd, then Hogan stands straight back up. The start of a, a feud that still drew money, um, but yeah, you you wonder how times are different. I don't understand this at all. I mean, if we're gonna look at WCW's heel roster, the five, the top five names on the heel roster are Ric Flair, the Giant, probably Lex Luger, Arnison, and the Taskmaster. And in about nine minutes in the opening match on the April fifteenth Nitro, Hulk Hogan has proven that he is match for he's a match for three of them. <laughs> what's what's the point? Yeah. What what like I. <laughs> I don't know, but this is the weird thing. Like, watching this match, Hogan is getting no reaction anymore. It's fascinating. It's no, I mean, that, that's, sorry for coming in. That, that was one of the things I, I noted is when he was doing his um, interview with, with Mean Gene, um, you know, you have a look at the, the crowd in the background. Yeah, you know, there's there's still some of his merchandise in there, but that's just little kids. And I'd probably say um, the kids with the parents is probably about 20% of the uh, of the crowd. A lot of the, the merchandise is given away as well. Keep well, that in mind. F- fair enough. But, you know, all, you know, 80% of the crowd were... You know, just not into seeing Hogan anymore. And uh, you know, I, th- I think if uh, if I was there, I'd be well within that eighty percent. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not reacting to his stuff. Uh, it doesn't help that his big boots are looking increasingly awful. Um, but the the, the 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 slingshot catapult thing, which I think the idea was that was going to get a great reaction, people didn't pop for it. No. Um, and then yeah, like I mean. I thought Hulk Hogan and the Giant were friends. I mean, I don't know what happened there. Apparently, they're, they're, they're not... Because the whole point was, they were going to turn Giant babyface on the basis that Giant and Hogan wanted to hang out. But apparently, that's not the case anymore. Um, so, Giant's staying a heel, which kind of explains what happened on the um, on the Nitro two weeks ago, um, at the start, where they kind of turned Giant back heel formally. Um, I don't know. Like, what's... What does this achieve? Like, I don't, th- I don't think Hogan's any more over for beating up three heels. And I think, you know, admittedly, Anderson is fairly expendable. Taskmaster, I think, is very expendable. I just wouldn't have been doing this to the giant. No, not at all. I think that's it. Anyway, we come back from the break and there's a big pyrotechnics display. And up next, it's the public enemy, Flyboy Rocker Rock and Johnny Grunge versus the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags in a Fool's Count Anywhere street fight. The Nasties ambush the enemy on the way with a garbage can and a steel chair. Rocco Rock hits a flip dive on Sags. Nobbs runs over Grunge with a clothesline in the ring. Nobbs hits a bin over Grunge, uh, plays a bin, sorry, over Grunge, and the Nasties take some shots with the bin over his head. Nobbs comes off the apron but gets hit multiple bin shots from Grunge. All four men are now on the outside, which is a good thing as the ring is full of rubbish. Nobbs grabs the table and just smashes it into Grunge's face. But Michael on commentary goes, here comes the wood, before Sag slips Rock through a table that's propped up against the apron. Grunge has a very sloppy garbage drop on Nobbs. Rock goes for a top rope leg drop while holding the garbage can lid. Sags moves. Or a WCW's counterman take a tumble on the outside. Rocco Rock does a running bulldog to Nobbs on a chair. Nobbs returns the failure with a chair shot. Eric Bischoff, on about four different occasions, says everyone in the arena is standing before qualifying and saying there is not one person seated. And as we look into the front row on the hard camera, everyone is sat down. There are rope breaks in a street fight, apparently. Nobbs grabs, uh, slams Grunge into the uh, middle of the ring. 
Grunge returns with some chair shots and they seem to be setting up a table. Grunge goes for a top rope leg drop. Nobs rolls out off the table. Grunge goes through it and then Nasties pick up the win. After the match, they lay sags on a table on the outside. Rocco Rock runs from the far side, takes Grunge off of the apron and sends them both crashing through the table onto sags. Why do you want to think of this? I really enjoyed this. You know, for a TV, it was, um, sorry, for a TV episode, it was, you know, a really good brawl. Um, obviously we, we, we spoke in depth about the, uh, about the match at, uh, Uncensored last month. Um, you know, that went on far too long and I think this was probably perfect. And um, I think it went for about eight to ten minutes in, in, in that region. Yeah, about that, um, yeah. Yeah, um, so obviously the guys, uh, similar to that other match, you know, the, the, the guys were, you know, gassed after five minutes and, uh, and then obviously had a few spots after that, which, uh, you know, I thought was, was perfect for, uh, for the brawl that they was, uh, that they was having. Um, you know, there was a few moments in there that, uh, um, that, that made me smile. I thought grunge, um, paying homage to his ECW roots by, um, I think he took something out of the crowd and then used it against, uh, um, against Sags was, um, you know, put a, put a bit of a smile on my face. Um, but yeah, all in all, you know, I think it was, uh, uh, for, for, for these two, uh, Public Enemy and, and, and the Nasty Boys, it's, it's what we wanted as soon as Public Enemy was, uh, was coming into WCW and, you know, they was going to be matched up against the Nasty Boys. This is what we was, we was expecting and, and, and wanting from the match. So, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed it and, uh, you know, thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think this, this is a dream match that would be better aired in ECW. Um, but you know, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to get it there, certainly not in the, in the near future. And I think, you know, this was about as good as I think this match in this setting was going to get. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It was about the right, right length. It didn't overstay its welcome too much. And there's only, there's only so long this kind of brawl can go before the, the, the shots, shots start to seem less effective. But a really fun match, a very predictable ending. Like the minute the table came out, I went, "Yeah, we're, we're going to go back to what we've seen a, a, at least twice." I think with Public Enemy WCW matches, where they'll they'll set up the top rope spot, they'll go through the table, but their opponent will move, and then they'll pick up the victory. But I did like the bit after the match. I did like it. If I didn't describe it correctly, essentially, um, Rocco Rock drove Grunge. And himself through Jerry Sags through the table, um, and Sags kind of did a lot of selling afterwards. Very effective, I, I, I thought. Very. It, it's one of those things where it, I don't think you need to have a lot of context if you're in attendance or if you're watching at home just to enjoy this kind of match. I think you did it too often. It'll probably lose its effect. I'm seeing that in ECW right now. Um, but in a Brian, you're used to sparingly enough. This is a kind of thing. You know, Bischoff wasn't really lying. He was a bit, but he wasn't really lying when he said that most of the arena were were on their feet. They were because it was like it was every, things are happening. I need to be stood up because I need to be able to see what's going on. Um, that's a good thing, um, I, I, and I like this match. Anyway. We move on to Earl Robert Eaton with cheese against Randy Savage. Savage starts out the match at a pace. We've got Fred Flintstone in the audience. Eaton goes for a figure four, then even pulls out a four horseman t-shirt. The story behind it is that Eaton is essentially angering Savage by keeping, reminding him of flair. Allison goes after cheese, then backdrops Eaton on the ramp off the distraction. Savage hits the body slam, then a top rope elbow drop, and that will do that. After the match, Savage goes for a second elbow drop. Some lower car phases, including Alex Wright and Jim Duggan come out and try and stop him but Sarage jumps through them and hits another elbow they end the segment with Sarage getting handcuffed by Doug Dillinger Wayne 
Yeah, again, another fun little match really. It was, uh, you know, nothing special. It was, it was what it was. It was a squash match, but, uh, it was there to, um, to, to put the storyline over of, uh, of, uh, of Elizabeth and obviously spending Savage's money, etc., which they banged on about for the whole of the match. Um, but, uh, but the, you know, the match itself was, uh, was good. It was, you know, it was all action, you know, there was, there was a lot going on within the three, four minutes that it was, uh, that it was going on. One thing I, I didn't understand though was, uh, um, was, um, Eaton trying to get Savage mad, uh, Savage mad, you know, it was, uh, I just don't understand the, you know, the concepts of trying to get your opponent as, as mad as hell to, well, I mean, uh, the, 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 log- the logic is, is that you can throw, the, the, the wrestling story is you can and throw them off their game. I think that's the idea. If you get them angry, they'll make mistakes. That's the logic. Well, it didn't work though, did it? Well, so. no, well, no, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. But that—that's the story, and it, uh, it yeah. makes enough sense where I'll let them off. I think right. is what I would say on that. Yeah, you're right though. It's a—it's uh, a, a short match. I, I thought I thought the bit with Eaton angering Savage even it didn't make a ton of sense from Eaton's point of view in terms of storytelling point of view in terms of getting the Savage and Flair feud over without them interacting we haven't seen much of Savage and Flair interact recently which I think is quite a good idea um, Savage getting angry what do you think about the bit after the match with Savage hitting the second row elbow drop and then getting handcuffed I, I, I again not the not the most bulletproof story but I think if you're, if you're willing to overlook a couple of inconsistencies, I, I, I like the idea that Sarah got so angry after the match that he ended up getting handcuffed by Dillinger. That, 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 I think that's something different. Yeah, I, mean, I think they said at the start of the show, I think it was Eric, Eric Bischoff that was saying that he, um, that Savage is, you know, a bit of a lunatic, he's coming in, he's raging, etc. And, and, and this was there to, um, especially the ending was, was there to just put that over even, even more. And, you know, we're, we're probably going to get to the point where Savage is just going to keep getting, uh, you know, as, as, as mad as, uh, as mad as hell and, um, and, and, and raged as, uh, as much as he can to the point where he does eventually get his hands on floor. And I think that's what we're building to. And we move on to the main event. It's Ric Flair and the Giant with Woman and Miss Elizabeth against Sting and Lex Luger. Ric Flair has a chat with Steve McMichael's wife on the R way, but Michael isn't happy. And for those keeping colour charts on Sting's hair, it's now very much brown. Sting's howl gets a great reaction. He then hits a press slam on Flair, then knocks Giant off the apron and throws Flair into Giant. Giant responds by throwing Flair straight back into danger. Luger tags in, throws Flair into Giant. Giant catches him this time and again sends him straight back into things. Flair legs it and the Giant goes after him as we go to commercial. We're back in the ring after the break. The heels are in control. Giant hits a suplex on Luger. Flair then drops a knee. Luger is playing the babyface in peril. Flair locks in the figure four, using woman for leverage at ringside. Luger eventually starts to rally in front of a hot crowd. Flair goes to the top and Luger throws him up. Luger finally gets the tag, but Sting unloads on Flair, hitting a superplex off the top and locking in a scorpion deathlock. Woman climbs on the apron. Luger ducks the coffee shot, but it catches Sting in the eyes. The ref calls for a DQ. After the match, Giant hits two choke slams. Both men stay down, which makes the earlier segment with Hogan look a bit stupid. And we end the show with Eric Bischoff managing to handcuff Bobby Heenan. Another really good Heenan ending after a fortnight ago. Uh, Wayne, start with the match. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, it was, um, uh, again, uh, an, another good match for, uh, for a TV show. You know, it was, uh, um, good interaction between, uh, between the four of them. Um, I, I, I did, um, did wonder 
um, Flo coming back over the commercial was it giant that dragged him back? Or did he did he make up in in the back and come back? So you know I did have the, that thought process in in the back of my mind. Um, but uh, once once they worked everything you know everything out all the differences, I thought the the team of Fleur and Giant you know was quite a good cohesive unit. You know working over Luger and uh, and getting in the tags and and working them over more and more. You know I thought it was uh, it was a good little setup between the two. Then we built for the uh, for obviously the tag with um with, with, with sting um and obviously everything that happened at the end was uh, was not a mess but it was all you know it was all all guns blazing etc but uh, uh, everything with 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 woman coming in with with the coffee and everything but yeah the match itself you know i thought it was uh, uh, a, a good little setup uh, as, a, as a main event yeah, the the WCW main event scene does look a bit better when Hulk Hogan's not in it. Um, <laughs> that 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 these fans are not tired of Ric Flair. These fans are not tired of Sting. Um, this They're is not f- tired of Luger as well. I was quite surprised. I know we we made reference to it before in the past when they had the triangle match, but uh, Luger was uh, was getting cheered quite quite a lot in there, which uh, um, which is only good for him, I suppose. I think this is one of the biggest babyface reactions we've seen Hogan uh, Luger get since we started this project. You know, I mean, he's had he's had some babyface reactions in those early days in the WWF. Um, but yeah, this was, that there was, uh, you know, for, for all the thoughts of, you know, Luger sometimes playing heel, sometimes playing a, uh, an in-between character, this was just Luger playing a babyface, uh, and doing quite a good job of it. Um, the crowd were into all four guys. I, I like the kind of sequence at the start with, with Flair keep getting thrown to Giant and Giant throwing him back in the ring. I thought that was good. The middle of the match with, with Luger playing the, the babyface in peril and then the, the, the ending with, with, with Sting running right and the, the, the predictable, if not horrendous finish. But Wayne, we come on to Giant who at the beginning of the show chokeslammed Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan shot straight back up. Now admittedly they had a, they, these two had had a long match Sting was had some cough in his eyes I had some other issues <laughs> but giant choke slams them both and they both stay on the deck talk about a lack of continuity yes uh, very much so um, if they did one thing they, they probably put the, the choke slam back over again but you know it was probably too late by then because uh, um, you know, like like pretty much everything that is involved in, you know, Hogan's just spoil it again because he just likes to put himself over yeah um you know, I, I go back to what I said before. I, I don't understand the mantra that Hulk Hogan says that he needs to, to kill everyone who's around. It's like, no, you need to build up the guys around you because then you can draw some money. Yeah. And if, if, if WCW are making money, Hulk, you're making money. That, that's the thing I can't work out. If anything, it, it pays for Hogan to keep the guys like Giant as strong as possible. He can keep slaying them. I mean, that, that at least makes sense. It's a bit predictable, but you keep your opponent strong. You earn more money. Um, I don't know. And then I, I don't know if you caught the, the, um, the April Fool's joke two weeks ago, Wayne, but, um, Heenan, who continues to be a riot, um, it was a bit convoluted, but I'll, I'll, I'll give him a pass. I thought it was a really funny ending to the show. Uh, yeah, I thought there was. Uh, I, I don't know if it was a bit tongue in cheek, in all honesty, with uh, everything that WWF has been going on about about the uh, about the handcuffs and that. But uh, I didn't know whether that was tied in with it. But uh, but yeah, it was. You know, you, you're always going to get uh, uh, a lot of laughs out of uh, Heenan. <laughs> A whole lot of action coming your way. Like I said, we are live. Public enemy coming up. Let's get down to the ring. And I'll tell you what. As I said, we are live. We are not like the World Whining Federation, which is a tape can show. Happened a couple of weeks ago. Let me save you some time and put.
put your remote control down. The RuPaul impersonator, the transvestite gold dust, defeats Davio Vega, regains the intercontinental title, title Yawn. Mankind defeats Aldo Montoya, bigger yawn, and Vader defeats Fatu. Oh boy. But we are live. Anything can happen, and it may happen tonight in the main event. And I'm being joined, rejoined on the show now by Chris. Uh, Chris, kick us off with the April 22nd Nitro results. Yeah, well, for the 22nd of April, we had the American Males defeating the Public Enemy by disqualification. Uh, Chris Benoit defeated Eddie Guerrero. Jim Duggan defeated Meng. And in a WCW World Heavyweight title, WCW World Television title, and WCW tag, World Tag Team titles, all titles on the line tag team match, Lex Luger and Sting defeated Ric Flair and the Giant by disqualification. All titles stayed exactly where they were. Chris, what do you think of this show? Um, I, I didn't think it was a, uh, a terrible show, but by no means a great one either. I... I enjoyed the opening match. I enjoyed the uh, Benoit and Guerrero match. And the main event was perfectly fine, but it was the finish. And we talk about it so often on WCW shows, but the finish of the main event, the the coffee in the face, and then that being followed by quite a hilarious promo by the Giant, which I don't know how anyone could have heard the the line, um, that coffee burned and it lit a fire inside of me and just not like burst out laughing. I don't know how you, anyone could take that serious. Um, but the match itself was really fun up until the finish and uh, Ric Flair's promo to end the show and then running off was great. So probably all things considered, say like a an average show really, nothing nothing terrible on it, but. By no means nothing great either. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, we know what's coming up next week because it, it was take, you know, the same night as this show. We haven't seen it yet, but it'll be interesting to see. We kind of got to compare this show and the next one on the basis they were taped on the same night. And based on what happened in those second set of results, it'll be interesting to see how it comes across. Um, but yeah, I'd say this show looks flatter than the other one, but you know, we'll be interesting to see. I mean, April, the April 29th show does come off the back of uh, uh, the night after In Your House 7, so maybe they thought we've got two shows, let's stack the deck a bit in favour of the second one, um, but we'll see anyway, Eric Bischoff starts the show by explaining that we're going to get a tag match tonight where three titles will be on the line, this is basically the WWF gimmick from In Your House last September Sting and Lex Luger versus Flair and the Giant um, so it's like the gimmick, so it's a bit more complicated. Apparently, Giant, despite being on Flair's team, could still win the title. Someone said that. Did Chris, did someone say that at some point? I didn't mishear that. No, someone definitely said that. If he yeah. wanted to pin his own partner, he could leave world champion. Yeah, that, that definitely, ha- that yeah, definitely that. was said, um, but whatever. Uh, anyway, we then get Bischoff saying, don't watch the World Widening Federation before saying, quote, the transvestite gold dust defeats Savio Vega, regains the Intercontinental title, yawn, mankind defeats Aldo Montoya, bigger yawn, and Vader defeats Fatu. Oh boy. There we go. Uh, it's slightly ironic, given that next week it's going to be WCW being pre-taped, but oh, oh well, always fair in love and war, I guess. Uh, we open up with the public enemy, Fireball Rocker Rock and Johnny Grunge, versus the American Males, Marcus Bagwell and Scotty Riggs. Bagwell starts with a flying crossbody from the top, both to both members of the enemy. He then does a slingshot crossbody onto Rocco Rock on the outside. Riggs does it to Grunge, and the males get the crowd clapping along to their theme song. 
Eric Bischoff then takes some time to wish Brian Pillman all the best after his car action. I thought that was quite nice. The males double double kick, drop kick, Rocco Rock. Rock hits a moonsault from the second rope and the enemy close in on Bagwell. The enemy do a double team body drop on Bagwell who sells some pain. This match is quite the improvement on these two when they faced each other a couple of months ago. Rocco Rock goes for a senton from the top but Bagwell moves. Riggs gets the hot tag and unloads on both of them, laying out grunge with a flying forearm. Rock sends Bagwell flying over the top. The enemy then send Riggs over the top rope and the referee calls for the disqualification. Of course he does. After the match, they set Riggs on the table on the outside. Rocco Rock does a flip dive and sends him and grunge flying through Riggs on the table. I quite like this double team move. We then get the Pet Boys Power Pin of the Week. The Power Pin of the Week this week. And over the top rope disqualification. Chris, your thoughts on all this? Um, the match itself, I thought, was perfectly fine until the finish. It's actually the first time I've seen this rule enforced by WCW. So uh, it's not just a myth. I've actually seen it for myself now. Um, and it it's just dreadful, really. They need to get rid of it. Like, it's just a terrible rule. I, I'd, I'd actually be less offended by them just ignoring that it's, an, it's one of their rules and just just letting this go because it's such a dull finish to a match. And I thought Public Enemy did a really good job. Like, uh, I don't know if the American males had it in them really to be able to match the Public Enemy's brawling style. So Public Enemy toned it down a bit and they did a really good job of having a more traditional tag team match with a bit more of a formula based around cutting off the ring and preventing the tag. And I thought it built really nicely and the, the crowd were pretty hot for this at the start. And then the finish just killed it all for me. So it was an absolutely fine match. And then the finish was horrible. But as you say, the uh, the table spot at the end with the dive, the double team move was was absolutely stellar. Um, really enjoyable. But the match itself, uh, missable. It wasn't a great way to start the show with that finish. No, we, I think it was January. Just that's, I think it may have been Public Enemy's first match actually in uh, in WCW against the American Males on Nitro. That weren't very good. I think it was a a mishmash of styles. And I think Chris, you're right in the sense that it, it's not like they meshed brilliantly well in this. I just think they were both more willing to accommodate the other style, um, and it came across a bit better. It was dare I say a much more traditional wrestling match in the sense that it was just let's build up. You know, Bagwell as the babyface in peril. Riggs gets the hot tag, and. Uh, I don't know. I said my piece on the on the over the top rope thing. I mean, it happened. It, it happened later in the show. I think um, it feels like it anyway. Um, it, it, actually, it may it may have been the uh, it may have been what was taped afterwards. Just trying to think if I'm confusing what ran the spoilers. Um, but yeah, it, either or, it, it's just it, it's the slapdash. You know, it, it's basically wrestlers can throw each other over the top rope unless we need a, a, a screwy finish, in which case we'll pull it out the hat. All a bit weird. I mean. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, and you know, power, Pet Boys Power Pin of the Week. I mean, I remember when when they first started doing that a couple of months ago. I remember thinking, "Great, we're definitely going to get one pin a month or one pin a week." <laughs> I was so wrong about that. Uh, we get an interview or a promo package even for the May edition of WCW Magazine. While the hooks is, and is there a plot to end Hulkamania? Yes, there is perpetually a plot to end Hulkamania. By WCW Magazine for May, folks. Up next, they're announcing tag matches for the Lethal Lottery at Slamboree next month. Sigh, I've got in my notes. Hugh Morris and Meng will be facing Bobby Walker and Meng's tag partner, Barbarian. 
Stevie Ray and Big Bubble will be facing Scott Norton and Ice Train. The woman with Jean on the uh, R way then attempt to shuffle a deck of A5 sized cards, which didn't go very well. They're actually envelopes anyway. And of course, in no convenience at all, the first two names drawn from the envelopes are Ric Flair and Randy Savage. Of course they are. And they are drawn against Iron Anderson and Eddie Guerrero. That will be one of the matches on Slamboree next month. That match actually could be quite a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of Eddie Guerrero, he's up next against Chris Benoit. Benoit clicks Guerrero with an open right, then holds up the horseman sign. Guerrero returns the favour, then we get a couple of unbelievably whippy arm drags. Benoit rakes the eyes of the, with the ref blindsided. We go into the break and they're basically teasing Savage might be going berserk backstage. No footage, mind. Guerrero hits a lovely head scissors. Eric Bischoff tries to preview and promote the Cruiserweight tournament that, to the best of my knowledge, I think is actually already over. Uh, the pair exchange rights. Guerrero goes to the top and hits a flying head scissors. Benoit blocks a reverse victory roll, sits down on it, grabs the ropes and picks up the pin for the three. Chris? Yeah, I mean... It, we've seen this match before in many forms, both in ECW, WCW have done it before. They know whether they get half an hour, whether they get six minutes, they know they're going to get something good. It's going to be tidy, it's going to be polished, and the, the action's going to be good. And that's what we got here. I mean, they didn't have enough time to put on anything spectacular, didn't have enough time to do anything what we've seen these two men do in the past. But this was a perfectly fine match with a... Uh, it's some entertaining action in the middle, a few nice moves. Eddie's Harakarana from the top rope was was excellent. Um yeah, it was just find it hard to say uh anything bad about this match really. It was just way too short to put on anything stellar. It was short but fun. Yeah, a bit of a filler. I'm not even sure it's necessarily um longer than the main Duggar match that followed. But you know, you're right, it's it's a match with not a lot riding on it, um, not particularly long. Both these guys are technically proficient enough where if you give them four minutes, they'll give you a, a technically clean four-minute match, even if there's nothing to write home about. Um, and the finish was what it was. See, this is the kind of spot I don't mind, the, the dodgy finishing. You know, you can't you can't have a, a, a four-match TV show every week between uh, name guys in every match and expect clean finishes left, right and centre. Um, this is the kind of thing that made sense. I, it's the kind of thing I imagine would probably set up a, a Saturday night match which will get more time will probably be a lot better and will probably have the same type of awful ending but there we are uh, I, I don't mind telling you that in the past the Macho Man has had to been restrained even cuffed recently by friends of his now joining me at this time in an official capacity is uh, a vice president with the World Championship Wrestling Organization, the front office, you hobnob with Matt Lambros and some of those other uh, bigwigs. But uh, my good friend Rob Garner here tonight. Rob, I understand, and hopefully we can get the macho man out, but some of these subjects have to be addressed in an official capacity by you and the championship committee and, of course, all of those here at WC. Speaking of the man, why don't you hold back on the comments, Randy Savage. Randy Savage, you have been out of control as of late, and I knew it was just a matter of time before the office, so to speak, would come down on you. You can't continually be a threat to yourself and other people. And uh, Mr. Garner, any words here for the Macho Man? Mr. Savage, uh, we're very concerned with your current actions, both in and outside the ring at WCW. Now, we at WCW and all the fans understand your current situation with Ric Flair. But you're they're right. That's right. But your actions, your actions are totally unacceptable. Really? If this current 
set of actions and behavior that you're doing does not cease immediately, the ramifications to your career at WCW will be severe. Ramifications! What a big word for a suit and tie! Hey, 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 hey! Brandy, Let me please, tell you something. All you guys down at City Hall and WCW are getting a little too comfortable around the macho man Randy Savage. Please. You understand? And about Nature Boy Ric Flair being my tag team partner, I am the tag team partner from hell, brother. And I will be real creative when I do what I want to do, when I want to do it. And nobody's going to stop me. You Watch it, Randy. Man? You send a message Watch back. Watch it, Randy. Because I don't beat City Hall. I'm going to blow it up. Wait a minute now. Just a second. You are trying to get something across here. Mr. Garner, maybe you could finish this cut. Please give us just the opportunity of talking and getting this officious of your will statement. what I want to do. Mr. Savage, if you cannot control your behavior, perhaps you should seek professional help. Oh, really? You're telling me I need a psychiatrist? Well, I think that you need a psychiatrist for standing there like a little, little, little stupid person. Yeah. Oh, come on. Don't be telling me I need a psychiatrist. It's not worth it, no. Randy. You don't want an open-hand slap is? Yeah, hey, Randy, no. wait a second. Hit that is not worth it. We have seen Security. that before, and I never want to see that again. You want to see some excitement? I am going to create and electrify the whole WCW. Randy, don't and do you it. Tell everybody Randy, what I please don't do it. Damn it. Thank goodness. Oh, please. All right. Thank goodness. Randy Savage, uh, totally out of control. He should seek some kind of treatment for his behavior. I thank you, Mr. Gunner. I apologize. We've got more action coming up. Don't go away. He's not. I can't believe that. Me, Gene Oakland, is joined by WCW Vice President Rob Garner on the R-Way. Savage walks out without music. Garner says WCW are very concerned with Savage's actions. They are unacceptable. Savage calls himself the tag partner from hell and says he's going to get creative. He gets in Garner's face. Garner says Savage needs professional help. Savage calls him a stupid person and then storms to the back. Chris, what do you think of this angrier Randy Savage? I, I enjoyed it personally. I think having an angry Randy Savage, it seems like, not to say he's not when he's not fired up and angry, but it feels like a motivated Randy Savage. And uh, it's something that's interesting. I mean, we're, we're roughly halfway through this show now, and it's the first thing that's sort of fiery or passionate or it's, it's noteworthy. It makes you sit up in your seat like, and, and take note of it. And whereas the first half of the show could have otherwise passed you by. Whereas when Savage comes out in this mood and starts saying what he says and making those threats and as in, is, is as angry and impassioned as he was here, you take note. And I think that's like crucial on a, uh, on a TV show like this. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think one of the biggest takeaways is is that perhaps across the entire show, but certainly across the first half of it, this is the only thing you're likely to remember at the end. Um, maybe that'll change with the second half of the show. I don't know that it would. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's cool to see a, an edge to Savage's character. It's cool that they're kind of one thing I really liked about this program pretty much all, all you know all months long based on what we've seen so far and what I've read from the spoilers for next week is that it seems like they've kept Flair and Savage apart the entire month and they've still done a really good job building up the the rivalry and it's not something you see all that frequently traditionally WCW programs are 
X is in the ring, Rai runs out, distracts him, whatever, attacks him after the match, etc, etc. They interact, they brawl, they feud. This is a feud built up around two guys that, you know, that, I mean, not that Nitro really features any backstage stuff, but they're kind of not really insinuating to a lot happening backstage anyway. But I like this kind of dynamic where we're seeing a lot of build on screen, but we're not getting these two guys face to face with each other. Think it'll mean more when it happens. I also suspect it means we probably won't get it at Slamboree. Uh, anyway, we move on. It is Meng versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Duggan comes out of the gate hard, sending Meng to the outside twice. Remember when Meng was the killer? I've got in my notes. Duggan doing his usual stuff. They're currently trying to explain the rules of the main event. Apparently, despite being on the same side, Giant can win the title if he pins Flair. There we go. Bischoff, on talking about Hogan's absence, says, Hogan was really in control here on Nitro just last week. We'll discuss that at the end of the show. That line that line is true in more ways than one. Duggan headbutts Meng. That went well. Meng locks in a shoulder lock. Duggan smirks and rallies out the hold. Duggan then gets back into the rest hold. Meng misses a couple of splashes. Duggan hits an atomic drop, then a body slam. Duggan gets his 2x4. The ref grabs it as he goes to swing it, and Meng levels Duggan with a big kick. Duggan recovers on the outside, tapes his fist, nails Meng on the apron. Meng goes down, Duggan pings him, and that's enough for that. Chris? Uh, This match was an absolute dud. I mean, it was slow, it was plodding. Um, Meng tried to take it up a notch halfway through. Unlocks on a nerve hold. Um, both guys looked bored. The crowd looked bored. I was bored. Um, and then the finish was just a bit strange. He taped his and knocks men out with one punch, and that's it. And it all felt pointless, and it took me about three seconds after the match had finished to move on from it, and probably, after we finish review, this review, never think of it. It was completely... Uh, it, it did nothing for me. Yeah, you're right. Um, I've I wouldn't call myself a big defender of Jim Duggan in the past. I think we've had other guests on that have been perhaps more disappointed, more angry, depending on which you know side of whatever Jim Duggan's doing you've been watching. I've been the kind of person that's thought, you know, Duggan's got his strengths. He knows, you know, he's at an age where he, he, his act is down. He's got his act down to a T. He knows what he's doing. In 1996, though, does Jim Duggan need to be on my TV anymore? I don't know. I, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know that Jim Duggan's bringing all that much to WCW anymore. Um, at a time where they're getting rid of guys, at a time where I think they've got rid of the shark this month. We didn't mention it in my notes because I believe they've released him for his contract, but he's sticking around on a per date deal. But I haven't got that confirmed yet. Um. But that that's kind of happening at the moment. And at a time where they're trying to get rid of guys to try and accommodate contracts like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, you kind of wonder why Hatchel Jim Duggan's getting paid and what he's bringing back. I don't know. Anyway, Alex Wright and Disco Inferno will face Dirty Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton at Slamboree. Gene Oakland does as he usually does. He chats up the women during the draw. Oakland makes them shuffle four cards, then asks them to be cut for, for whatever reason, like, like, we're, uh, like we're playing a game of Texas Hold'em. Lord Stephen Regal and Belfast Bruiser will team up. Oakland is shocked by this development, showing that he's never watched WCW TV before. Uh, they will team up against VK Wall Street and Hackshaw Jim Duggan. Shockingly, another two people that were at least in the last six months feuding as well. So 
funny how these things work. Uh, Eric Bischoff says the C in WCW stands for commitment. Except it doesn't. Uh, we move on to the main event. It's Ric Flair and the Giant with Jimmy Hart, Woman and Miss Elizabeth versus Sting and Lex Luger. Um, these, this is the match stipulation as I understand it. If Ric Flair gets pinned, whoever pins him wins the world title. That includes his teammate, the Giant. If either Flair or the Giant pins Sting, then they will become the WCW World Tag Team Champions. And if either Flair or Giant pin Luger, then whoever pins him becomes the US Champion and the team of Flair and Giant will become the Tag Champions. Chris, does that sound about right? So, it does, but... So was the rule that Giant could pin Flair, but, but Sting couldn't pin Luger? And win win his title was that? They never. That's a good point. They they, they definitely never said that. No, they, they made no mention of it. But it just seems pretty unfair to Ric Flair that I mean his his team titles up for grabs, but uh, Luger's wouldn't be. I, I mean WCW might want to uh, the rule makers might want to think about that one. Yeah, all a bit weird. Anyway, Ric Flair kisses Deborah at Michael, who once again is on the R way. I like. Well, apparently this happens next week too. I don't understand why. Like, if Steve McMichael really has a problem with this, just don't bring your wife to the show. It's not difficult. And why is she in the same spot every week? I I don't know. Anyway, get irrationally angry about WCW storylines. <laughs> uh, Ric Flair gets in the ring, but Savage starts attacking him. Savage gets held back by officials and police who handcuff him and escort him to the back. Flair returns to ringside and flexes in front of Deborah. Giant props Sting in the corner. Sting returns with a pair of drop kicks, but gets caught going for a flying something. Sting and Luger send Giant over the top for the outside. No disqualification if you're keeping score. Flair meets the same fate, and Luger and Sting celebrate. Flair chops Luger, who, like everyone else, is these days no sells it. Flair takes a big gorilla press slam, and Flair unloads with some clotheslines. The crowd are hot for this. Flair climbs to the top, gets thrown off, usual stuff. Sting then hits a big superplex. Sting's charged at Flair on the outside. Sting move, Flair moves, sorry, and Sting eats the guardrail. Giant finally gets involved, standing all of his weight on Sting's chest. They cut to ringside. Woman is holding a cup of coffee. I wonder what's going to happen here. Flair does the Flair flip over the corner. Luger hits a scoop slam. Giant puts Luger in a choke hole, setting for a choke slam. Sting hits two shoulder tackles from the top to the back of Giant's knee. Sting finally sends Giant off his feet, which pops the crowd. Flair begs off, then gets the coffee. He goes to throw it at Sting and Luger, who move in the spot that was possibly a bit too signposted, but I guess that was the angle they were going for. They both kind of part ways, and Giant takes the copy in the eyes, and Flair just legs it in probably one of my favourite moments of the month so far. It happens. Flair rolls out the ring and just beelines it up the ramp. Uh, Chris, what do you think of the match? Uh, we'll come to the post-match angle in a minute. I enjoyed the match. I mean, uh, I thought it was really fun. Um, it was a tag team match built around Ric Flair, so there was all Ric Flair spots in there, but as we all know by this point, that's the foundation of a very good match, and it was it was just fun. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the uh, when the giant got in the ring and he had a hold of Luger. Sting trying desperately for him to break the uh, the choke slam was was funny. It was cool. I don't know. It, it it wasn't. It didn't take itself too seriously, and that's maybe why I enjoyed it. It just felt fun. Um, the finish, though, I mean, just flat and i just think how you can have 
how you can be running a promotion like this and no one can say, well, if if we're going to do the coffee in the main event, maybe we shouldn't do the over-the-top rope in the opener. And, like, no one picks up on that. And it's just like, I, I have no idea how you allow so many dud finishes on one show when you've only got an hour and every match just feels so flat at the end and this was not this was this was an exempt from it and it was a shame because i really enjoyed it up until the end yeah i mean this you know we have covered wcw through a lot of transitional change backstage in terms of who's booking what and who's in charge of what but it's very clear that wcw in whatever incarnation it is in is led by people that don't really care about match finishes i think it's just one of those things that we at this level kind of value a bit more than they do in it it is what it is. I, I don't get this. You know, it's been going for so long now. There's no quality control. There's no reason to it. They're not really drawing because of it. I think it's just they think it's part of the formula. They they, they think the formula that works is we'll put ne- that they they would rather have four named guys out there in a match with no ending than two named guys out there against either two guys that we never heard of or two guys much further down the card in a match with a clean finish. They'd rather have a competitive match than an unclean finish than a squash match. I guess. This is a fun match, though. Uh, hot crowd. Um, it, it is Flair Curtis hits, but, you know, as you say, Chris, that he's been doing this for a number of years. What he's got down as greatest hits aren't exactly that bad. Um, and, yeah, like, it's Sting and Luger are a fun tag team. My overriding thought, we'll discuss at the end of the show, my overriding thought was, though, God, it's fun without Hulk Hogan. I don't know. I just feel like Hogan would have been involved in this match somehow and it would have been a lot worse. Yeah, you're, you're entirely right, and maybe that's why the show felt a lot more fun than the, the past couple of night shows, because at no point was Hulk Hogan out there killing the crowd and just sucking the energy out of the arena and just doing Hulk Hogan things, and instead we had a Hulk Hogan-free show, only a couple of mentions of him, and a, a fun main event that, yeah, didn't take itself too seriously, and had Ric Flair in it, and it was fun. Uh, let's go to Gino. Take it, Gino. All right, uh, Jimmy Hart. I, I'm just having to see all of this myself, and I can't believe it. Ric Flair, giant, nailed you in a face with scalding hot coffee, and you're not happy. I'm not happy. That coffee burned. But it lit a fire hey. in my soul. Ric Flair, no. I am the real giant. Now I fulfill my legacy. Next my life. The World Heavyweight Championship, bro! Oh, oh you are true! It's mine! Oh, 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 just a Let second. Let that up! Rick Let that up! Rick Flair! Hey! Yes! I tried to apologize. You didn't like it. Now I'm mad. You tried to apologize. I don't like the way you look at the girls anyway. I don't know so you got till the end of the show to apologize to me. Or next week, I'm going to kick your big ass. <laughs> We'll discuss more on Hogan later on. Flair comes back on and begs off in front of the Giant. He's even got a towel, which I thought was quite good. Uh, giant cuts a pro. We get the line that he mentioned, Chris mentioned earlier about the coffee in the face, lighting a fire inside of him, whatever. Uh, we then start hearing Flair in the feed. He's by the commentary stage. He says he tried to apologise and now he's mad. Either the Giant comes and apologises or Flair is going to kick his ass next week. Giant legs it after Flair, who runs like 
quite mad. We return to the wide shot of the commentary desk and Hayden peeks his head out from below the desk where he's been hiding. Another great finish involving Hayden. Chris, brief thoughts on this end of show skipped. I was laughing hysterically at that giant line, uh, as I've already mentioned. The delivery was wonderful and I'm not sure for the for the right reasons but I enjoyed it nonetheless but that flare promo was great and uh, the lion uh, next week I'm going to kick your big ass and then just absolutely legging it as the giant and him both realize what he said was wonderful it was such a great end to the show um honestly that this this end from flair the running away twice running away once and coming back with a towel telling him he's going to kick his big ass and then running away again it was just glorious. I think it was my, so good. My favourite moment of the entire show is just right after the finish of the match where he rolls out the ring and they, they've got a camera in the right position and they just cut and you just see Flair just steaming to the back. <laughs> That's such a good visual. Um, it's kind of disappointing he came back out. I know they had to do the thing with setting up next week, but it's kind of disappointing he couldn't, like, I don't know, it kind of, there wasn't a space where he could have run to where he was far enough away. If he could have <laughs> got onto some kind of ledge or could have run backstage and then have got a feed. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Flair's time is great. Giants are good for, for it. I'm just happy there was no Hogan. Um, I didn't quite realise it time watching it, but reviewing it back now, it, it sure as hell feels like it. Brian Pillman was hospitalised on April 15th in Cincinnati after being thrown from his car during a crash. He ran off the road before striking a tree stump before he came to a stop reportedly 40 feet away from his vehicle. Pillman suffered a broken ankle and multiple lacerations to his body and his face was so swollen initially that his sister couldn't even identify him. There were also concerns that Pillman lost so much blood during the incident that he wasn't going to make it. However, he was released from hospital four days later, subject to returning for further surgery. The Humvee he was driving was described as an open-air military vehicle, one which Pillman wasn't wearing his seatbelt in. He has subsequently been told that had he been wearing it, he likely would have been crushed inside the vehicle which ended up destroyed in the accident. Further still, Pillman was wearing a thick biker jacket that ended up being torn to pieces. That too saved him from possible further damage. Eyewitnesses estimated him to be driving at between 60 to 70 miles per hour in a 45 mile per hour zone. The next week, Pillman underwent plastic surgery on his face, repairing his broken nose and a fractured cheekbone. He also had his jaw temporarily wired shut. After having surgery on his ankle after the crash, he will have one further operation to remove a steel rod that was put in. Doctors have told him it will be eight weeks before he can start rehabbing his ankle, and perhaps another month after that before he can start training for a return to the ring. With regards to Pillman's immediate future, his contract with WCW is about to expire, and in comments made before the accident, Eric Bischoff said that the two were in negotiations, and that Pillman had been handling the situation as a professional, and the reason things had gotten to this point were as a result of WCW's end, not Pillman's. Bischoff then said they would do anything they can to keep him. On the April 22nd Nitro, after the accident, Bischoff, to his credit, did say that he wished Pillman all the best after the accident. And we come back, it's April the 29th, Chris rejoins you once again. Chris, kick us off with the results. Lex Luger and Sting defeated Harlem Heat to retain their WCW World Tag Team Championships. Uh, the Steiner Brothers defeated Fire and Ice, the team of Ice Train and Scott Norton. In a parking lot brawl, Lord Stephen Regal defeated the Belfast Bruiser. And the Giant won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, defeating Ric Flair. Chris, what do you think of this show? Um, out of the... Uh, not all the nitros for this month, it was probably the best show of the month. Um, 
I, I enjoyed the opener. The parking lot brawl, well, I mean, strange. It was it was something different for WCW. It was fun. It was violent. And the uh, main event, while not by no means a five-star classic, I mean, was one hell of a shocking title change to end the show. And it's an interesting direction they're going in with uh, with the Giant now putting the belt on him for the second time. The title's been bounced around a bit, but, I mean, that finish was out of nowhere. Like, the way he defeated Ric Flair was, um, I mean, they haven't, protected Ric Flair by any means with the amount of uh, the amount he's come up against Hogan in the last few years but they put Giant over in a big way in the main event I thought it was a, quite a uh, noteworthy show yeah last week I say last week about five minutes ago if you're listening to this but last week I bemoaned quite heavily you know the the match finishes in WCW and how you know people don't care etc etc there is the flip side of all that, which is you can, when you do so many dodgy finishes, you can shock people with a clean one. And that was this. For, for all, and there, there are probably more negatives with, with having that kind of level of finishes than there are positives. But there is this fact that occasionally you can save up the shock clean finish in the locker and it will blow everyone by surprise. Now, admittedly, this was taped a week ago, so if you're reading spoilers, I don't know many people are, but if you are, then you know about this. Um, but, yeah, this really works. I thought... I, I don't want to over... I thought this was the best Nitro since the first one. I, I, I don't want to overstep the mark, but nothing... Nothing sticks out. I just thought in terms of match quality, this was right up there, top to bottom. And I said it last week, and we'll discuss it later in the show. No Hulk Hogan, Chris. I, I don't know. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, no Hulk Hogan, second week in a row. Good show for the second week in a row. And, I mean, I haven't seen too many Nitros. Um, well, this around the sort of 32nd or 33rd episode of Nitro. But... It's hard to imagine there being many better episodes than this for sure. And seeing as you, yeah, um, no Hogan, it can't be a coincidence that you've got no Hogan and you've got two decent or above shows in a row um, after a few uh, below average ones with him on it. It's no coincidence. And long may it continue. Ah, uh, we open up on April 29th with tag team action. Nitro is on at 7pm, I think it's Eastern, uh, this evening. Uh, they've been moved for the NBA. This will happen into next month as well. We start with Sting and Lex Luger versus Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray for the WCW World Tag Team Titles. This is, obviously, this was taped last week, so this is basically just, they started rolling immediately after the last show finished. The crowd are still loud. Booker T hits a lovely high-angle kick on Sting before stomping on Luger in the corner. Ray misses a charge in the corner, and Luger unloads on him. Sting quickly becomes the babyface in peril, a lovely leapfrog spot, and Sting hits a big drop kick to gain some parity. Back from the break, Booker T does a bit of breakdancing and hits a lovely jumping side kick on Sting. Ray locks in a rest hold and the crowd rally behind Sting. The Heat hit a nice powerbomb elbow drop combo. Jimmy Hart runs out and throws in the towel. I didn't see it, but they did a similar angle to this on Saturday night uh, at the weekend. Off of the Hart distraction, Sting rolls up Booker T. Sting does get the win, but Booker T... Sting rolls him up, and they're, they're, they're rattling around so violently, but Sting actually picks him up during the pit. Booker T shoulders them back, get clean off the mat for a good half count. The ref just keeps tap, keeps tapping the mat. Um, uh, but Sting picks up the win with a pin and the crowd pop big for the title retention. Chris. Yeah, as, as I said, a really fun match. Um, 
The highlight for me was actually just after the finish with Luger absolutely having no idea how his team had won. I thought him looking at the camera and sort of shouting, we won, like half surprised. It was a big highlight. But yeah, this was fun. Harlem Heat are great. And as we said last with last week's Nitro and um, it's proof again now, Sting and Luger are just a really fun team. They have a good dynamic. They, they complement each other as a tag team. And Harlem Heat, yeah, as a Harlem Heat are great too. Um, the finish, yeah, uh, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, you'd be hard pushed to say this wasn't a clean finish, but with the throwing in and the towel, Sting sort of unknowingly taking the cheap finish with this sort of Jimmy Hart distraction. There's a bit of edge coming back to Lucas' character again, and in a dynamic between him and Sting. So, yeah, big thumbs up for the match and the segment overall. Uh, having seen Lex Luger just be uh, so down in the dumps for about 18 months going through the motions, it's so good to see him motivated. It's so good to see him in front of crowds that are reacting to him, in front of a, a storyline that means a lot to him, wrestling with a guy he's been friends with for a long time. Motivated Lex Luger it, like, is so much better than Lex Luger phoning it in. There's some guys that, yeah, Ric Flair can phone it in and I don't think you notice a difference, but Lex Luger, you really Really can tell when he enjoys himself, um, and it helps that he's no, not that Luger can't go, but it helps that he's in the ring with three guys that can go in front of a crowd that were interested. A good little match, not too long. Um, interesting little finish. Again, you know, in, in in two shows this week and last, full of them. I don't know how that came across to the live crowd, um, but you know, I, I wasn't massively disappointed by it. Uh, as we um, go on. As you say, yeah, just on Luca, arguably, for me, he's probably been the star performer of Nitro this month. Um, from the first Nitro of the month, him taking on Flair for the title and then into a few tag team matches in a row with Sting. But definitely for me, if you had to pick sort of a MVP for the, for the month for WCW, for me, it has to be Luca. I think he's been excellent. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, I don't think. Maybe Flair, maybe, but yeah, I think one of the two. Uh, anyway, move on next to Fire and Ice. Scott Norton and Ice Train against the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott. Ice Train hits a lovely body slam on Rick before slamming him hard into the corner. It says a lot when Rick Steiner is the smallest, musculature-wise, in a match. Rick has a German suplex on Ice Train. Scott follows it up with a lovely belly-to-belly and a second. Ice Train hits a lovely arm drag throw and a massive big boot on Scott. I'll tell you what, the big boots have improved. Now Hulk Hogan's buggered off. Uh, Rick Flair levels Ice Train with a clothesline and that's enough for the win. Short but very physical. Chris, thoughts on this? Yeah, as you say, short but hard-hitting, full of action. Um, Really, uh, really fun five-minute match. Um... The Steiners are just so great. I mean, excuse me for speaking the obvious, but there's a moment where Norton first tags into the match. He just squares up Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner looks at him for a while and then just suplexes on, suplexes Norton on his like twice. It's a full like the size of Scott Norton and Scott Steiner just no second thoughts about it. It just picks him up. Huge suplex and that just gets things rolling. They're just, High energy, high impact, fun to watch. And uh, it's pr- probably about as enjoyable as a five-minute tag team match with little to no backstory as you're ever going to see. 
Yeah, sign me up for an eight, nine minute version of this match in future. Um, what, one guy that you, you didn't mention explicitly, but I trained a guy that was knocking around a couple of years ago. As big as he is now, but, and he was doing the same moves, but there was no real smoothness to his work. You know, he was a guy that learnt the moves and didn't learn the transition. He's kind of where Giant is now, really. Um, and clearly he's been down at the power plant, probably working out a lot with Derriset, with Renegade, a guy who, what we've seen him in the last few months, briefly, has, has certainly improved a bit. Um, and Ice Train smoothed out his act, and that bit where he steamed into Rick Steiner in the corner by by the camera, admittedly it helped the fact that as he hit him, a lot of gob came out of his mouth and sprayed all over the camera. That was a really nice spot. Um, yeah, I, I would I would very much show me up for a longer version of this match. This is the kind of wrestling I like to watch. Big guys just beating the piss out of each other. The signs are great. We've said that before. Uh, fun match. Yeah, let, let, let's do it again. I, I would say that. Um, so you may have some reservations about your title defense here tonight against the Giant. Is that true? Meijing and the wrestling world... As usual, when I'm in your presence, stand at attention. Now, Eugene, I want you to look at woman and ask yourself, am I worried about a seven foot four ignoramus by the name of the giant? No. If that doesn't do it for you, Mean Gene, ease on over here. Take a look at the former Mrs. Macho Man, now Miss Elizabeth, wow. in love with Nature this Boy. Guy. And ask yourself, are we worried about a real life? Walking, talking, fire breathing giant? Or do we say, oh, woman, oh, woman, won't you marry me now? Or do we say, ooh. Oh, you are cold, Flair. You are cold. Do we have the soft caress of the former Mrs. Macho Man in hand. Yes. So me, Gene, viewers worldwide, I love to do this more than anything else in life today. Woman is the giant, half the man the nature boy is. He's a small man in comparison to the champ. You heard it? He's a small man next to the nature boy. Now, Miss Elizabeth, we're not snapping in the Slim Jims when we're walking with an H-Boy. Is the giant anywhere near the man that the nature boy is? Absolutely not. Meijing, question answered. Giant, come and get it. That will happen a little bit later on here tonight, bro. Stay tuned. It's going to be the Bruiser and his Lordship We get an interview. Next. Oakland on the ramp with Flair, Woman and Miss Elizabeth. Flair says he isn't worried by a seven foot four ignoramus in the giant. He's a small man next to the nature boy. We then get a vignette. Our world is about to change. Blood runs cold. Coming soon to WCW. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? This kind of vignette. I don't. We haven't seen one of these for a while. It's like this, like icy scene. They have these. I don't know what to call them. Like these, like shields that morphed, and it was like, like not best description, but it's a bit like the, the James Bond opening where this like kind of door unlocked itself and spiraled out. I've described that horrendously, but well, <laughs> if, if, if you can describe it any better than me, please do. And what do you think of it? 
Well, I'm not sure I could. It was slightly uh, strange a bit surreal. Um, it's intriguing, I guess, but I kind of take things like this with a pinch of salt on WCW after so many, like, the. I, I mean, it was not too long ago we were covering sort of the rise of the Dungeon of Doom and things like that. So it, they're intriguing, but I tend not to let it myself get too excited about things like this or too too intrigued, I suppose, because I just, like... Who knows if it's going to be if it's just going to be another evil faction that Hogan inevitably puts down. Like you, you don't know what's coming, what the plans are. But WCW, I guess at this point, have uh, made me a little bit overcautious about new is coming onto their programming. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope I'm not forgetting something really obvious, but I can't remember there being a, a vignette like this on Nitro this year. Um, and again, you know, it's. It's always important to have a mix. You can you can surprise debut some people, and when the opportunity arises, you probably should. But you can't always make a surprise, and sometimes you need to introduce characters. Now, not they really got anywhere with this, but you know, give it give it six weeks, give it a couple of months. Who knows? Uh, we come back from the break, and we are in a horribly staged parking lot. Those who recall the fake concession stand from last year, uh, Uncensored 95. Uh, I've got it on my screen now, actually. Um, they're calling it a parking lot brawl. Now, Chris, I don't know how many parking lots you've used in your life, over here or in the States, um, but I can't recall many parking lots. One, completely surrounded by a guardrail. Two, with a probably, I don't know, seven, eight hundred fans watching either around the guardrail or there's like this bank of kind of seating up one side. And then the cars in the lot consisted of four cars all pointing inwards in a setup that no parking lot has ever been set up in. All of it weird. Yeah, the setup was uh, particularly strange, as you, as you just said. Um, but, I mean, if we're going to get this kind of set up and it's going to lead to... I'm all for it, because the next three to five minutes were pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, Belfast Bruiser is up next, uh, a.k.a. Dave Finley, against Lord Stephen Regal in a parking lot brawl. Finley puts his foot through the rear, of a, a side, rear side window of a car. Finley grabs a cinder block. Regal floors him and rubs his head into the ground. Finley hits Regal with a wheel, then slams him onto his chest. Tells it onto his chest, sorry. Finley rips a bumper off the car and hits Regal with it for body slamming it onto a bonnet. Regal then returns the favour by driving Finley's head into another one. Finley gets a seatbelt and strangles Regal. Regal puts uh, Finley uh, uh, into the back of a pickup drop truck. Sorry, We've got some blood, so the camera angles have all of a sudden got very wide. Finley gets on the bonnet and drags Regal off. Bischoff says, if this gets too much for our viewers, I'm going to demand we pull out so far you can only see the skyline. With that, Regal drives Finley's arm through the opposite window that was broken earlier. Finley goes for a tombstone, but Regal escapes. Regal goes for a pile driver on the bonnet, but Finley backdrops him onto the roof. Regal tries to hit a pile driver on the roof, then pins him, uh, and that will do that. Heenan says, the lights are flashing. That means he's okay. The lights on the car did start flashing with the pile driver. That was quite good. Uh, he then exclaims, he's out of gas! Another shit pun. Um, and then, just as Eric Bishop was racking up the second, Heenan goes, wait a minute, that's my rental car, which was, yeah, quite funny. Um, Chris, thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, it was just, just sort of mindless violence, a lot of brawling, but it was pretty entertaining. Um, I, one thing I do have to pick up on, uh, I've probably been slightly harsh on Eric Bischoff's commentary 
over the sort of 18 months I've been on this show. Uh, but I don't think there's, you'll find a, another example in history of a man referring to a seatbelt as a safety strap. Time strange commentary call. Yeah. A little bit. I don't know. Um, just a really not, weird moment. That's not an Americanism. They don't call them safety straps no. over there either. I, I don't know what would possess a man to refer to it as a safety strap, but he did, and uh, I picked up on it. So there's another one for the list. Eric, there we go. Weirdism. But yeah, uh, this it, match it, itself. Is that book coming out someday, Chris? Your your uh, your gripes with Eric Bischoff's commentary? There's certainly enough content. That, that is a good maybe, point. Maybe that one will be in the pipeline. We'll have to see. But the um, the but yeah. chapter, just back leg round kicks. That will be uh, that will be a good Jumps start. Back leg round kick. That's the one. That's the one. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, um, not really much else to say about this match. It was uh, pretty violent, and the, the increasing widening of the uh, camera shots were pretty funny. Um, yeah, I mean, hard-hitting, violent, uh, entertaining. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, the Pulse is definitely one of the match. Um, the, again, a bit like Uncensored last month. These two were just willing to beat the piss out of each other, and they did. And it was quite fun to watch. It was, at times, perhaps unnecessarily violent. For a, for a match of such magnitude, I perhaps wouldn't have minded it being a bit having a bit more build. Um, I'm also a little bit surprised they just randomly threw it out on a Nitro, but you know, there we go. Um, there was that. Um, but I had a problem with Bischoff's commentary, but in a different kind of way. Um, you know, we, we know, we've seen with stuff with WCW before regarding, um, you know, what they're allowed to show, all of that kind of thing, and, and, and their, their policy surrounding blood. And the first time they, they, they clearly spot Regal bleeding, Bischoff says, you know, if it gets a bit heavy, we're gonna pan out. I'm like, okay. You know, fair enough. They're, they're just saying, look, if it gets a bit violent, we'll just protect you from it. And then for the next two or three minutes, he basically just kept along that same line. He kept talking about how this was kind of too violent for the show and how, you know, the the, the line about if it gets even more bloody, we're just going to keep panning out. And I'm thinking it got to the point where it felt like Bishop was shitting all over the match because of the style. That felt to me a bit weird. What do you think, Chris? No, yeah, I think you're entirely right. I felt like he sort of, it almost made maybe like he was panicking. I don't know if he intended to have it seem like he was, as you say, shitting all over the match and the style of it, but maybe he was just panicking about like what the sponsors, what TNT, what, what, what people are going to think about this. So maybe his sort of burying of it via commentary was just a way for him to try and cover over it, show his disapproval. I, I don't know. It felt to me like he, he said it once and then just as the violence, went on as the match went on just panicked a bit and i think that was his way sort of on the spot of trying to cover for it but it certainly did uh detract and all the more bizarre given that this is a tape show all a bit weird i don't know but yeah interesting match yeah. like certainly noteworthy if nothing else but you know that's where we are and we move on to the main event it's rick flair with woman and miss elizabeth versus the giant with jimmy hart for the wcw world heavyweight title flair approaches deborah michael again kind of got my notes from last week why is she still there flair holds up the title and they make note to say that the macho man nameplate is still on it which from a storyline perspective i think is really good anyway that's 
that's for that note. The match starts, we get lots of stalling early on. Flair tries a shoulder tackle, but gets levelled. Flair gets slammed, and Woman howls from ringside. Flair casts to the top, gets thrown off. Of course he does. Giant hits a big suplex. He then goes for a choke slam. Flair tucks on the ropes while Woman and Elizabeth distract the ref. Flair then low blows the Giant. Flair levels Giant with some knocks, I think. He tucks something back into his boots anyway. Flair locks in the figure four. Giant grabs hold of a choke, gets Flair back to his feet. Choke slams him. One, two, three. A clean finish in a Nitro main event. And we have a new World Heavyweight Champion. The crowd pop, but are soon stunned into silence. Giant cuts a promo with Gene. He says he knew in his heart of hearts that it's been his belt since Halloween Havoc. He then says he will be a fighting champion. He calls out Hogan, Sting and Savage. Bring one, bring all. Chris, what do you think? I mean, the match itself was, as I said in the beginning, it wasn't no, it wasn't a five-star classic. Giant's still green. It's improved a lot since his debut, but what just a stunning title change really like they just barely had any offense hit a choke slam and pinned hogan clean in the middle of the ring it was just not nice like, freudian slip it was flair but nice freudian slip it wasn't sorry <laughs> pinned flair clean in the middle of the ring but hogan on the brain unfortunately well, we're uh, discussing but, that bit in a minute but carry on um no but it was just a uh a stunning title change, as I said, big for it in a in a really big way, and then just sort of silence hit the arena. And I don't know if they were sort of stunned how quickly figured and how convincingly, or if they just realised that Giant was the world champion. But either way, uh, it got a reaction from the. That's like ninety percent of the battle. Yeah, the one th- there was one slight thing I was surprised about for a comment on the match was that during the live edit, Bischoff counted out of sequence. Um, like Bischoff counted one as the referee was at two. Uh, he counted two when the referee counted three. And then obviously, because the, they pull up from the pin, I, I don't, I was a little bit surprised they left that in the edit. I, I would have just muted Bischoff's feed for that, that pin rather than let that go through or maybe even try to realign it. But I, I make note of that. That didn't come across brilliantly. But yeah, like, as I said at the top, there is one benefit of doing all these dodgy finishes is that when you don't want to do one, you can't half surprise people. Um, it, it worked pretty well. Um, Chris, I guess the next question, thoughts on, on Giant as champion? Um, I, it's hard to know where they're going to go with him next. And that's my biggest concern. I mean, they don't, to me, currently have a face who is a natural fit to go up against him. Everyone else is otherwise fairly preoccupied. I mean, you could do Luger and Sting, but they're, like, you'd imagine would they've got a storyline to play out amongst themselves. It just beat Flair pretty convincingly. I don't know where they're going to go, but, I mean, it's I, I'm happy for Giant in the sense that having been sort of given this mock title runner halloween havoc last year it's nice to see him finally hold the belt legitimately and uh actually get a chance to make an impact with the title but i think the the reign itself is going to depend on who he's matched up with really because he's still green he in order for his run to be a success he's going to have to have a pretty good opponent someone not who can carry him but some 
And uh, I don't know where they're going to go with that. Yeah, that that's it, it. Kind of will tie into the Hogan stuff. But we'll we'll, we'll refrain from getting onto that for a minute. I mean, I, I think they're they're going to do at Slambury. I think they're going to do Giant and Sting. They're lining up fifteen matches for Slambury, as best I understand it. They're going to have eight kind of tag matches. God forbid, eight. eight. <laughs> yeah, it must be eight. Then they're going to have four second round tag matches. Um, so that'll be 12 matches to get down to four teams. And then four teams will compete in the eight man battle royal to, to crown. Uh, I think the winner of that will face the champion. I don't know whether that's at Slambury. I'll have this all sorted out by next month. Um, and then they've also got a couple of other matches lined up. One of which I think is Giant and Sting, I think. I think that's the plan. Um, so that's their kind of first match. I guess that's logical. I guess in terms of all the potential opponents, Sting is the one that's going to get the best match out of the Giant, which I suppose is at this stage the most important factor. But you're right. I mean, the other, the other two names that you didn't mention, I suppose, were, were Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, two guys that will be here quite soon. Um, it, I mean, if, if Hall, if Hall handed his notice February 22nd, I think, it's a 90 day notice period. Um, yeah, beginning of June, maybe, maybe they could get, maybe they could just parachute him into a, a main event match against Giant, a uh, great American bash in June. That could work. Uh, Nash will, assuming all the stuff with Nash has, has gone through at the time we, we believe it did, Nash will be available from, early to mid-June as well. I I don't know that you want to do Kevin Nash and the Giant. We had a whole year last year of Kevin Nash being up against big guys that weren't particularly great workers, and it didn't really work. Um, that would be a that would work from a size perspective, though, at least. Um, but yeah, I, I think Sting is the most logical program, and then maybe move to Savage. I mean, I get the sense Sting would be the program until Hogan comes back. Um, they're talking about Hogan being away until August, and one thing that we'll mention leading into the discussion with Hogan is that, as I understand it, I think Halloween Havoc in October is going to be at Caesar's Palace, and one of the di- one of the things as part of the deal of Havoc coming to Caesar's Palace was was that the first matchup on pay per view between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage will be at that show. So logic to me says you keep the belt on Giant. Put him up against Sting, maybe Luger if you need it, maybe Hall or Nash when they come in under whatever guys they're in, maybe you get a match out of that if you need it to get yourself through to August, bring Hogan back in. Hogan's not gonna be on every pay per view and, and um and anyway, full brawl in um in September will be handled by War Games. So get through that and then get to Halloween Havoc in October. Hogan picks up the title off the giant just before that and then they do Hogan and Savage. That would perhaps be logical. Um and Chris, all of this brings us to the topic of Hulk Hogan. Now, we've discussed this month um, across the various shows. Uh, first of all, I guess we I know you've seen it. I mean, you weren't on the specific review we did of it. Your thoughts on this whole Hogan shenanigans. I mean, I better go through it, I suppose. Essentially, as I understand it, they had, as they have ended the month with anyway, they had a remit that they were going to write Hogan out of TV at the beginning of the April the 15th show. Um, with a viewpoint that uh, Anderson and Taskmaster have a match and Giant comes out with him, levels him with a chokeslam, beats him up for a bit, and Hogan either does a stretch job or just disappears. And then we get to the tapings, and Hogan's like, ah, uh, you know, let's 
let's change this plan. And he hasn't been on TV since, but despite all that, Hogan got choked down by the giant and popped straight back up. For all I know, he did it on a whim. It's Hulk Hogan, who knows? Um, but anyway, Hulk Hogan has disappeared. According to reports, he won't be back until August. Um, there are also reports I'm reading that he doesn't have that many pay-per-view dates left this year. Um, I'm just trying to think what is he, he did. Did he do Super Bowl? Did he do Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, he did, he did Super Bowl because he did the cage match against, uh, Giant. He did Uncensored, obviously, in the, uh, in the eighth on two match. Uh, I've read two pay-per-views left this year. That seems a bit low. Um, because I imagine he will be contracted for Starcade, and we know he's down for Halloween Havoc. Um, but actually, no, maybe that does make sense. Because if he was away till August, he'd miss Slamboree, but he wasn't going to be at Slamboree anyway. He missed the two June and July shows. That makes sense. There's no show in August. He'd skip Full Brawl, but he's never at Full Brawl. Or is it Full Brawl last year? He's, he, he was at Full Brawl in 94. He might have been at the one last year. In fact, he probably was. But maybe he skips Full Brawl. And then it's Halloween Havoc, skips World War 3, and Starcade. Maybe. Anyway, that, that divergence aside. Hogan has a few pay-per-view appearances left this year. But, Chris, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting to the point, And from the sound of things, some people in WCW are kind of getting to the point where they're going... What do we do with Hulk Hogan? You know, they're doing one of the, perhaps one of the major negatives with all these Nitro shows is Hogan is being exposed in front of a live, quote unquote, real crowd, real compared to the WCW Saturday night crowds, real crowd every week slash most weeks when he's on Nitro. And they're starting to push back. And I, you know, we're looking at the, 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 the pay-per-view buy rates. They've, since the Vader feud last year, they've sagged a bit, and we all know, having discussed the the Hogan contract stuff, God, it would have been two years ago now on the on the podcast back then about Hogan's contractual situation, about how much above the pay per view average Hogan's getting paid for these shows, all that. Um, Chris, what do you do with a man like Hulk Hogan? I'm not sure what the options are really. I mean, it's tough because every time he's on, he kills the. Sh- he sucks the atmosphere of the crowd. We spoke about it before when we covered the first Nitro of the month, and it's just no reaction is so much worse than Blues. So much worse. It sucks the energy out of the show. It kills the match after it. Kills, everything that follows on the show is worse because Hulk Hogan's been on it in the middle. It, it completely flattens out the crowd. And I just don't know what the options are because, as we saw with the handicap match and that whole debacle, the creative control he has, like, what, he, the ability and the sort of flimsiness of his mind and do whatever he wants, no matter how late in the day he decides and everyone's just got to go with it. What, what are your options? Cause you're not going to get the do anything he doesn't want to do. And if it's, he's just set on being Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania, all of this, then I'm not really sure what WCW, they've kind of got themselves in this position now where they're kind of at Hogan's whim and the next few months, whenever he does come back, I mean, the next few months are going to be better off without him around it and the way he popped up from that Chokeslam a couple of weeks ago and then to have Flair get beat by the same move so convincingly in about five minutes, it's like, it's just a travesty. Yeah. And the cuts, it, it, 
he undercut so much of WCW's programming. He wasn't even there this week. And it's like, bear in mind, yeah, Hogan popping up from that chokeslam. Two weeks later, you're going to do this big title change and Flair's going to get pinned claimed by it. And it's just like, oh, it's just... I found one positive with the Hogan popping up from the chokeslam. And I wouldn't have done it in the way they did it. And I'm, I'm perhaps giving them a lot of credit that they don't deserve because it wasn't, it wasn't planned like this. But if there's one thing you can say about... And I think the way I perhaps would have done it would have been Giant comes out mid-match, chokeslams Hogan, levels him, walks off to the back, and then, say, Anderson goes to pin Hogan and he kicks out. Let's, if we picture it like that, we picture it with a bit of imagination. And then you can send Hogan away, maybe Giant comes back out and just attacks him again. You send Hogan away, Giant wins the title off of Flair, and the whole gimmick is, is that Hogan is the only one with the power to kick out of the chokeslam. They're not telling that story, but if they were, there might be something to that. That all being said, it's it's very counterproductive. Um, I think the, the the way you've got to look at the Hogan thing is you kind of got to work out what programs they've got to do next. Perhaps our biggest frustration with the Hogan thing over the last year is that he has only been in one program that has been in with the Dungeon of Doom that hasn't involved any matches of any note. It hasn't involved any you know kind of big programs with major names. It's just been Hogan against this group of guys that really aren't on his level. All well and fine. But the way you've got to look at the Hogan thing, I think, is this. Regardless of what's gone before, we've got to look forward. We know Randy Savage is coming up against him in, in, in November, as I kind of mentioned earlier. I think that's probably going to be where they're trying to get him in the next six months. If he goes away for three months, he comes back in August, he wins the title off of the Giant, they pivot into Randy Savage. I think there is a big question, though, in regards of... Are people going to be that delighted to see him in three months' time? I don't know if they are. Even if he's going to be off, it'll probably help versus him being stuck around. But can you do Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan babyface versus babyface? And if you can't, which one do you turn? And there's also the point that they've got to do Hulk Hogan and Sting at some point. They have to. We discussed this, I think, six months ago after the after the Halloween Havoc show. They have to do that match at some point. And there becomes a point of you've got three babyfaces, you want to feud... Two of them against one of the others. Do you turn both of the other two? Or Chris, is it just more simple just to turn Hogan? And, and the flip, and, and the kind of, the, the, the flip side of all of this is that Hogan's already getting booed. Like, it might just be, a, you don't, you might not have to turn him. It might just be a case of put him in front of guys, or opposite guys rather, that are popular, or more popular than he is in certain places, and do those matches. If Sting is going to be more popular than Hulk Hogan, and he will be in certain locations, just put Hogan up against him and let him be the heel. He kind of did it last year, and and dare I say, I think it was working. Um, what do you think, Chris? What, what about the prospects of Hogan turning heel? Um, I I think personally, I would turn Hogan heel. Do I expect them to? I. I think they'd turn everyone else heel on that roster before they turn Hulk Hogan heel. And maybe it's not even down to them. If Hogan wanted to turn heel, I think he'd have done it by now as his reaction started to die deaf. Um, with that creative control and sort of that man's ego on the level it is, him having two-on-one handicap matches, taking on a group of heels by himself and coming out the victorious heroic babyface, I think that's where he sees himself. That's how he wants his character to be. So at the end of the day, that's what we're going to get. So... I mean, Savage turning heel, I don't mind, because as we saw, the the anger and the aggression from him in that promo on, I think, the third week's Nitro this month, that if you can 
get that fire and that anger, you can turn that into a heel character. You can make that anger against something or someone. You can make that work as a heel with Savage perfectly well. And if that promo is anything to go by, then I'd be perfectly fine to see that. Sting, on the other hand, if they were to turn Sting and make him face a babyface Hulk Hogan... That doesn't excite me in any way. I mean, I don't think it excites people turning up to WCW shows either. I think there is a groundswell from a lot of people. I'm not saying Hogan's not popular, but I think in amongst the sea of WWF guys coming in, be it Randy Savage, be it Hulk Hogan, be it the next few months, you know, Diesel and Razor Ramon, I think people are going to gravitate even more towards Sting, kind of in the way they are towards even a heel Ric Flair in that he's our guy. Um, and it, it's, cause funny enough, of the three, I think Sting's the one that they're kind of laying the seeds for a heel turn. The whole thing with Luger, I kind of thought was the idea that maybe they're just opening up the door to turning Sting heel, kind of alongside Luger. Could work. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's gonna be an interesting, you know, gonna be an interesting time to see what they do coming back. Um, I think the plan is that Hogan will win the title of Giant probably sometime in August or September. Um, but it's an interesting time. I, I, I think that we cannot keep going on with Hulk Hogan against the Dungeon of Doom. That, that advert on the, on the Nitro show last week is, is there a plot to end Hulkamania? Yes, there's always a plot to end Hulkamania. Find something different. That's the biggest problem. Like, like, I, you don't necessarily have to turn him. He's already like I've always had the belief that you know if, if a guy's getting booed, he's a heel, whether you, you whether you want it or not. If, if Hogan's if Hogan's the main guy on the show and he's getting booed, he's already the heel. You don't have to turn him. Just put him against guys people want to cheer. Like put put Hogan against Sting right now. Find you're in probably seven out of ten markets. Hogan's probably playing the heel. He's wrestling like a heel. You know, you get through all of that, and it's like, maybe you don't need to turn him at all. Maybe just be a bit smarter with who you're matching him up against. Um, you know, equally, if if you know if Scott Hall comes back and gets a hero's welcome, I don't know why he would, because he wasn't exactly the biggest name in, um, in WCW before he left. But if Scott Hall comes in and just gets a hero's welcome because he's the new guy, a bit kind of like the Lex Luger effect from last year... Maybe just put Hogan against Hall and see what happens. Um, similar kind of thing with Kevin Nash. Maybe those are options. Maybe, you know, I don't think that they were teasing a turn of the giant, you know, a few weeks ago. They kind of abruptly went about face on that at the beginning of the month. Um, I think because I think, I think the, re- the reason behind it was that Hogan decided he was going away. So they thought, well, if Hogan's not around, he's not going to hang around with the giant, so we don't need to turn him. But it, it kind of feels like, for Hogan's long-term prospects, you either turn everyone else or you turn him, be it formally or just push him that way and let him be just a guy that's going to get booed. And when you look at it like that, you can kind of start to rationalise it. Fascinating six months ahead of us. Uh, very big thank you to Chris White for joining me on all of this month's shows. Chris, thank you very much. No problem, Bob. Thanks for having me. Uh, Chris, you can be found on Twitter. Yes, I can at Chris White fourteen. Are you are you still knocking about with your podcast, Chris? I haven't seen many updates from that the last couple of months. I'm guessing you've been busy. Yeah, I've been quite busy. Um 
yeah, kind of had a few months off, but I expect we'll be back fairly soon in the near future um, with a few more episodes. But it's still got, what, 30 to 40 episodes online. So if you do feel like checking that out, checking out some modern day stuff, you can find Podplex City on Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud. Um, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, as I said, I expect we'll be back soon. Excellent, excellent. It's good to hear. Oh, also, uh, thank you to Wayne Lithgow who joined me on one of these shows this month. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at WayneL84. Uh, yeah, slightly odd kind of show this month given how he put it together. We've also had, like, the recording these, uh, this last episode. You, you probably, I, I will do my best to have patched up all of the audio issues in the show, but we've had a few. Um, what else have you got to look forward to this month? Volume 1 in your house 7. That's a, that's a fun old show. Some, some very interesting stuff coming out of wrestling mania there volume three ecw yeah that'll be fun uh we'll uh, we'll come on to that um coming up next in volume three as well uh we've got usc coming up that'll be next month uh me and chris were at cage warriors last week that was quite fun in london we might talk about our our chinwag about that with tom who's there also actually um and yeah that'll do that you can find me on twitter at bobby bamba you can find all of the stuff that you need for the podcast on wrestling20yrs.com um, I think that'll do that. One quick plug for for an article that I did uh, on the website uh, about three weeks ago now, I think. Um, basically, it was looking at, but on the topic we were discussing, kind of about Hulk Hogan. I kind of went back because the you know, the the perception in the documentaries in, in in the history that WWE likes to present is that by 1996 the Hulk Hogan character had got stale, as you kind of just heard us discuss. Now, I don't necessarily doubt that's true, but I think people tend to take that as an inevitability. Um, and so I, and I'm going to have to find out what this article's called because I can't remember now. Uh, let me pull it up. I wrote an article looking at Hulk Hogan's run in WCW on the website. I'm going to keep talking and hope it just appears at some point. Um, and basically, the idea of the article was... Is there an alternative version surrounding Hulk Hogan's running WCW that actually suggests that the reasons that Hulk Hogan stopped drawing for WCW or became less popular was not because people necessarily were tired of Hogan's act, but was more because WCW stopped putting him in compelling programs. I have found the article. If you search on the website for why was Hulk Hogan booed by fans in WCW, you'll find my piece basically looking at one, the pay-per-view buy rates uh, for Hogan at the time, uh, I dug those up and kind of made a very well I wrote it so I'll call it interesting I'll let you be the judge of that an interesting look at the run of WCW pay-per-view buys around about the time Hogan joined and immediately afterwards and there's a very interesting correlation between Hogan shows uh, on pay-per-view that were up against either Ric Flair and Vader and Hogan shows on pay-per-view that didn't include Vader and if you if you look at Clash of the, sorry if you look at the Bash at the Beach show July 1994, Hulk Hogan's debut match, 1.02 buy rate, uh, Hogan facing Ric Flair. You move on to Clash, uh, the full brawl in September, uh, Hogan didn't wrestle on that show, it did a 0.53. Halloween Havoc in October, Hogan versus Flair, Korea versus Korea, jumped back up to a 0.97, that was in October. Move on to December, Hogan faced Butcher and got him that main event, that did a 0.6, 
quite significant drop for Starcade, which is one of WCW's more significant shows. We want to Super Bowl in February. Hogan faces Vader. The buy rate jumps to a 0.95. Uncensored that show in March of 1996. The buy rate is a 0.96. Things flattened out again until we get to Bash at the Beach. Where they, I can't I haven't got that number in the article. Um, the Bash at the Beach number was up too. Hogan against name guys drew. Hogan against the Dungeon of Doom didn't. And so I basically, and it, it's interesting to mention this now that we come across all this. I'll, I'll wrap up the show in a minute, don't worry. I basically made the case that it wasn't Hogan's character that was got stale, it was his opponent's. And I think there's something to that, but it'll be very interesting to see. We've got a very interesting few months coming up ahead of us. Anyway, yes, uh, you can find the article on the website if you uh, just find the search box and goes to why was Hulk Hogan booed by fans in WCW, or if you Google that phrase, I think will probably come up by now. Uh, that'll do that, Wrestling20RS.com, all your back episodes, all the blogs, we've got the MMA stuff on there, all of that. Uh, I've been Bob Bamba. Uh, this has been the uh, WCW edition of the April 1996 Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Until next time, goodbye.